This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate, which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Bricks and Mortar into the clear into the attack with Magic Wand fourth. Eighth of a mile to go. Bricks and Mortar puts his best foot forward and strides to a clear lead. It's Bricks and Mortar kicking away. And the inaugural Pegasus turf to Bricks and Mortar, a three-length winner. Midnight Bisous now bearing down on the outside. Heaven has my Nikki Moonlit Garden. But here comes Midnight Bisou with a late push. And Midnight shines brightly in the Houston Ladies Classic. Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. And it's Bigger Picture leading the charge. Center of the track, Green Crass of Wyoming. Oscar nominated, one final surge, but they won't stop. Bigger Picture to win the John B. Conley. And they're into the stretch, and it's the Breeders' Cup winner. It's Arrogate in front, leading by three with an eighth of a mile to go. Shaman Ghost is trying to get into second. Then Neolithic, back fourth is Noble Bird, followed by Keen Ice. But what a race, what a sport, what a horse. Arrogate romps in the Pegasus. He won it by three and a half. Now, here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone, and welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. This, of course, is the show that launched a network, and it is all right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you spending your Saturday morning with me once again on Sirius 162, XM 207, our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, and streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net, or wherever you are accessing your podcast. Well, I want to start today's show with a heartfelt congratulations to all of the Eclipse Award winners from this past year as we were once again reminded on Thursday evening that despite the negative narrative, which at times became the dominating story of our sport in 2023, there was a a tremendous, tremendous amount of good in the game over the past 12 months. Cody's Wish receiving his two Eclipse Awards this year as champion older male and horse of the year. And that emotional, heartfelt acceptance speech given by Cody Dorman's father, Kelly, that that was awesome. And you talk about the good stuff in life. That, that was it right there. It was on display Thursday at the Eclipse Awards. And Kelly Dorman, by the way, is going to join me coming up at 9 o'clock Eastern this morning. Stay tuned for that. You won't want to miss it. He'll talk about the ride that Cody's Wish took him and his family on over the past couple of years and the ride, quite frankly, that he took all of us on. Hall of Fame trainer Bill Mott. How about what he did this past year? Turning back the hands of time, being recognized with his fourth outstanding trainer title. 28 years. 28 years after his first one. Then there was the, the class of Godolphin, which is always on display, but boy, was it on display this past summer following the somber grade one victory by Pretty Mischievous at Saratoga. 
and they were rewarded with both the leading owner and leading breeder titles. And of course, pretty mischievous, Archangelo, and they're equally classy trainers, Brendan Walsh, Jenna Antonucci, walking away with the hardware in their respective divisions. So many great storylines, and they were all right there in front of us Thursday evening in South Florida. So congratulations to all of the Eclipse Award recipients. This afternoon, this afternoon marks the first major Super Saturday of 2024, if you will, and I I would expect that more great storylines are on their way as Gulfstream will host the $3 million Pegasus World Cup and the $1 million World Cup turf, along with five other greatest stakes. It is an awesome day of racing at Gulfstream Park. Hall of Fame trainer Suge McGahee is going to saddle undefeated integration in the Pegasus World Cup turf, the race preceding the $3 million Pegasus World Cup. The 3-1 second choice on the morning line is going to make his four-year-old debut, and he's going to tackle grade one company for the first time. Suge will be here at 8.15 after my first commercial break to talk about integration and talk about the other horses he'll saddle. He's got a pretty good two-year-old. Now, three-year-old, actually, in the second race, making his debut, and there's a lot of buzz around that horse. We'll talk to Suge about that horse and about integration and all the horses he'll saddle later today. I'm also going to walk through all of the Gulfstream greatest stakes with analyst Brian Natto as he joins me later in this first hour at 8.35 Eastern. So the first hour dedicated to the big day at Gulfstream Park. And the Pegasus World Cup, it showcases a a well-matched field of 12 older horses. But the presumptive leader in this division, White Abario, is not there. His connections have instead chosen to bypass the race in favor of the Saudi Cup on February 25th. And when Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin join me for the final segment of today's show, I ask they answer at 10.30 Eastern. I'm going to ask them about that decision. As a fan, and, and I think I speak for a lot of fans, I would have loved to have seen White Barrio return in that race today. I also feel like having a prep leading up to the Saudi Cup wouldn't be a bad move. But I'm going to caution you, the next horse I saddle is going to be my first. And when Rick Dutrow made the decision to train White Barrio up to the Breeders' Cup Classic after winning the Whitney on August 5th last year, that three-month hiatus seemed to turn out okay. So as much as I would like to see him have a prep, if Rick Dutrow doesn't think he needs a prep, and he can go right to Saudi Arabia, okay. But as a fan, I would have loved to have seen him in action at Gulfstream Park later today. I do think the White Barrio we saw in the second half of last year would handle this Pegasus field quite easily. He is the leader in this older horse division in 2024, and I really don't think it's even close. It's also a big night at Sam Houston. Big afternoon, I should say, as they play as they play host to the Grade Three John B. Connolly Turf Cup and the Grade Three Houston Ladies Classic. Sam Houston announcer Nick Tamaro will join me coming up at nine twenty, and he's going to walk through those big races and a couple of other stakes on the program too. Trainer Brett Calhoun is going to be with me at nine forty to discuss the likely favorite Hidden Connection 
in the Houston Ladies Classic. So hour one, we'll focus on the races at Gulfstream. Hour two, we'll focus on the races at Sam Houston later today. And again, in between all of that, you're going to hear from Kelly Dorman, the father of Cody Dorman. He'll talk about Cody's wish, and he'll talk about what it was like standing up there in front of the industry accepting the biggest award we have in this game. Poll question today. Who is your pick to win today's Pegasus World Cup at Gulfstream? We're going to keep it really simple for you this morning. Who is your pick to win today's Pegasus World Cup at Gulfstream? National Treasure, who is going to be the favorite. He's the morning line favorite anyway. So he's, if not the favorite, he's going to be the second favorite. First mission or other. So you get the two favorites and you get other. And if you choose other, please comment and let us know who you feel is going to upset the two favorites in today's Pegasus World Cup. You can go to at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook to cast your vote. And if you don't do social media, you know what to do. Email the show, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net with your thoughts on today's Pegasus World Cup. And I'll pass those along as we move through the show today. So here's a complete recap of what's coming up. You have Suge McGahee in just a few minutes, 8.15 Eastern. Brian Natto, 8.35. Kelly Dorman at 9. 9.20, Nick Tamro will be with me. 9.40 Eastern, it is trainer Brett Calhoun. 10 o'clock, hour three of the show begins with the Twin Spires Triple Play. And this week, James Scully has selected three races you can keep an eye on later today. 10.20, Kurt Becker will take you on his weekly stroll through racing history. This week, a really cool story about Swale. And if you remember Swale, boy, what a story he presented for the industry. And Kurt will tell you that story as he takes you through history later this morning at 10.20. And at 10.30, I ask, they answer with Dale and Tim. They'll debate some of the hottest topics, and they'll look back on the Eclipse Awards. They're going to share their thoughts on some of the big surprises, some of the things that stood out most to them. Dale was there. I'm sure he'll have some some interesting thoughts on the evening. So it's a busy show. A lot to get to here this morning. We're going to cover a lot of ground. When I come back, Hall of Famer Shug McGahee will be here. This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track, and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. 
When it's time to paint the fences and barns, think Farm Paint. At Farm Paint, you get the industry's best coatings and paints factory direct at low, low prices. Farm Paint is your source for quality paints, roof coatings, dustless arena footings, and more. You can purchase online or drop into a Farm Paint store near you with locations in Heart of Bluegrass Country at 700 Phillips Lane in Lexington, Kentucky, Columbus, Ohio, and Sandusky, Ohio. Buy factory direct and save at farmpaint.com. That's farmpaint.com. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile. The grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Animal Kingdom, point of entry. These two with Salto right in between them. They went three quarters in one, 13 and one, and they're into the stretch. Point of entry at Animal Kingdom. Salto gives way. Unbridled command tries to get into the race late. Animal Kingdom digs in at the rail. Point of entry's alongside. Point of entry's taking the lead. Point of entry has defeated by a length and a half. Unbridled Command was third, and Salto was fourth. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on this Saturday morning. Mike Penna with you right up until 11 a.m. Eastern. That was Larry Colmus with the call of the 2013 running of the Gulfstream Park Turf Handicap, a race which is now known as the Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational. Point of entry Getting the victory. How good was that race? Animal Kingdom in there. Point of entry, who was just brilliant for trainer Shug McGahey. And by the way, that was the second win in this race for Shug. Shug's looking for win number three in this particular race. And this is really unique. If he can win it today with integration, the Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational, he will have won it when the race had three different names. His first win came 30 years ago with strolling along in the 1994 Gulfstream Park Breeders' Cup Turf Handicap. <laughs> How about that? And now he can win it when it's the Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational. I don't think he cares what they call it, as long as his horses are finishing first. Shug McGahee is with me now here on HRRN. Shug, good morning, my friend. Good morning, Mike. How you doing? Good, good. How about that little stroll through history for you? Yeah, that was a pretty good. I didn't realize all that, but that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, three different names. It, when it, when I say the name "strolling along," what what comes to mind? What comes to mind was when he won the large realization at Belmont Park with Chris McCarron. He was a funny horse. If he moved too soon, he would uh, uh, like hit a brick wall. So I told Chris, I said, "Listen, don't move till the quarter pole." And doesn't matter if horses going by or whatever, and he and he won. And Chris came back and said, looked at me and he said, you know, it's hard when the horses are passing you at the five sixteenth pole and you got to sit still, but it works. So that was kind of my biggest memory of him. And then it, you know, the futurity was kind of fun too. So. Yeah, yeah, it's such a cool horse. And then you come back with point of entry in 2013. And I mentioned the quality of that race when you you know you think about. 
uh, Animal Kingdom being in there with him. But point of entry didn't take a backseat to anybody on the grass, did he? No, he was he was as good as there was, and uh, you know he was good. I think he was as good a horse I ever had. You know, he was <laughs> he uh, he had a world of ability, and you know he won a lot of big races, and he was fun to train. Well, integration has been absolutely flawless in three starts so far to begin his career. He didn't get him started till late in his three-year-old season. Um, tell me more about what you're seeing from him coming into this Pegasus World Cup Invitational. Well, Mike, as you know, I mean, this is a big step up for him. You know, he's coming from running against three-year-olds, but he's been pretty impressive doing what he's done. And uh, we've been able to kind of, kind of separate his races and give him the time in between uh, to let him develop, and he's done that. Uh, you know, and he's been up at Payson Park, and he's trained well up there. He, you know, the breezes, I go up there on Saturdays, and not this Saturday, but most Saturdays, and, you know, <clears throat> watch him go and, you know, him among others. But uh, I've been pleased with what I've seen, and he's been down here at Gulfstream since Wednesday, and he he seems to have uh, adapted well to the atmosphere down here, and we're looking forward to this afternoon. How big of a step up? Is it, Suge, for a horse to go from facing three-year-olds now to facing um, older horses? And, yeah, I know he's a four-year-old now, but you said his first try against horses that aren't straight three-year-olds. How big of a step up is that? Well, I think, you know, with him, especially as lightly raced it is, it's it's a pretty big step up. But I think he's a pretty special horse, too. You know, it's just, you know, he's going to go – He's going to be in a race today where a lot of these horses have run a bunch of times and, um, you know, with, with great success. And um, so he's going to have to uh, step it up a little bit, and I think that he can. And then uh, we'll take it from there for the rest of the year. But, uh, you know, I think I think it is a big step up when you think about it. Uh, it's, a real, it's a really big step up to go, you know, for a three-year-old, it's only run three times to run against some of these older horses that have, uh, you know, really proven themselves and have been been to the battles quite a few times. Shug, we've talked before about some of your top two-year-olds that come back as three-year-olds and they start on the derby trail or whatever the case might be. And you've talked to me about the development from two to three. And those months from November to January or February are very significant in a horse's development when they're young how about with a horse like integration where going from his three-year-old season to his four-year-old season is that gap from his last start in november to today that significant yeah i think it's helping mike you know i mean he he's filled out some and and uh grown up and you know i think that uh you know he's had a good good chance to develop and you know he's you know, when he turned two to three, he was I was just more piddling with him than anything. And, you know, he had a little few bumps and bruises that, you know, just where I'd have to back off of him a little bit. And, uh, you know, I finally sent him down to Fair Hill back in the middle of the summer. And he seemed to really thrive down there with uh, – I was breezing him on the tapita there. And uh, also, you know, being able to turn him out every day i think he uh i think he really thrived on that so i think he made 
I think he made good progress as we went along, and and uh, you know we'll see if he's run his best or if he's got more to him. Has this been the spot you've targeted all along to get him back <laughs> for his four-year-old debut? Well, obviously we had it on our mind, um, you know. But I, you know, of course today's a big day uh, for him. But you know, we're also looking down the road. I would like to have a nice spring, summer, and fall with him and be able to hope he's the kind that we can, uh, you know, that we can use some of the big races around, not only in New York but maybe around the country too. And uh, it'd be nice to end up in. California with the right kind of horse at the end of the year, but we'll have to let him tell us that. It would be completely unfair to him to compare him to point of entry or any of the other great turf horses that you trained over the years, Shug, but do you do you see some things in him that lead you to believe that if if he puts in the work and things go according to plan, that he can get to a level maybe close to that or even up to that level of a, a point of entry or one of the greats? Well, Mike, I think he's shown he was a pretty special horse in his first three races. And, uh, you know, right now, uh, comparing to point entry wouldn't be fair, as you said, because I think he was a really good horse and point of entry. And I would also, I would really like to see him if he were to come around and develop and his races the way that point of entry did. I think it would be, uh, you know, obviously it'd be a big feather in his cap and to be able to, participate and be successful in some of the same races that uh, Point of Entry was. I mean, you know, he Point of Entry didn't run in the race at Louisville, but I would like to be able to run him in that one. Uh, the, I don't know what it's called now. I call it the early times. But yeah. uh, on Derby Day, and, and uh, you know, we got the Man Award in uh, not Louisville, but they got in uh, Belmont, you got the Manhattan. You know, you go to Saratoga, you got the Turf Classic, and you know, even if even if it came to it, you know, you got the Arlington Million at uh, at Colonial, which is sure not always has been a nice race. And so, you know, I think we've got a lot of places to uh, choose from, and it would sure be nice if we were to step up and kind of have the record that Point of Entry had. Shug, you know, one of the really cool things about this game is is that fans get an opportunity if they're going to be around the paddock when horses are being saddled they get an opportunity to get kind of close to the action and and watch everything that's going on and trainers will come over they'll meet the jockeys they'll give a leg up to the riders as somebody that's in your position Shug, that's had so much incredible success and reached these incredible heights in our game when you when you get to tyler gaffley own today or any jockey for that matter before a big race are are you are you thinking that you need to walk through a game plan with them before the race, or are you more now with all the experience you have just saying, okay, you're the expert now, go get them? Well, you know, I mean, I'm going to have a few things to say to him, but he rode him the first time, so he knows him, and Tyler does his homework, uh, you know, really well. We've got the three posts, so, you know, hopefully we can break and, uh, break good and have a good position and you know when time comes uh you know have a chance to run you know with these grass races especially on these smaller grass courses you know position's a big thing when it comes to uh you know when you get to the three-eighths pole or so to where you've got a clear 
a, a clear a clear run and not have to worry about getting getting stopped. A lot of that's going to depend on the pace too. You know, slow pace are going to bunch up. Fast faster pace are going to spread out. But uh, you know, that'll be about the only thing I tell Tyler is because uh, I know he's done his homework. I know he I know he knows the horse and. I mean, he told me last week I rode him on a horse, and he was just telling me, he said, you know, you, I can't wait for Saturday to ride integration. And uh, so that's a good feeling, too. And and uh, But that's that's pretty much uh, what I'm going to tell him. I mean, he's all three of his races he won, he's kind of come on the outside. So, you know, I'll sort of uh, just sort of put that in his head. But uh uh, you know, I won't. I won't give him too much instructions. Like I told Dale Romans this morning, sitting there talking, that I said, you know, they, they these jocks now are are pretty smart, and they're go, they're going to pretty much ride their own race. So there's not a whole lot you can, you know, that you can tell them. And especially, you know, you've got the three posts, and and uh, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on the break. I mean, I think the breaks really important and i mean i think he will break well and and uh we'll just keep our fingers crossed we'll get a clear shot visiting with hall of fame trainer suge mcgahee here on the horse racing radio network big day for suge not just integration in the pegasus world cup turf invitational he'll send out signator in the race before that the fred w hooper um suge i'll ask you about signator in a minute but as you were talking i had one other question regarding your preparation you, you talk about how, how tyler goes about his business and gets ready for a race how about you do you do you study the competition at all or do you just focus on your horse because that's really all you can control well i think the latter's a big part of it but i do you know i look at look at the uh pps on the on them and i know you know obviously i know some of the horses uh but i'll i'll look at uh I look at the I look at all the races we're in today, and you know, sort of have an idea of what I what I hope happens. But uh, you know, you can't really control you know what's going to happen. So, I mean, I'll have a game plan in my my head that I hope to, that I hope takes place. But um, you know, you gotta uh, you gotta take what you get. You know, the biggest part of it, I think, is the break and the pace. Uh, and you know. I'm in four races a day, and that's going to kind of be, be you know, what I'm looking at, uh, you know, in all four races. I mean, you take a horse like Signature, you know, if the if the race comes up a slow pace, it's gonna it's gonna hurt him, um, you know, in a mile and eighth race. I mean, the like the turf turf race, uh, Pegasus Turf, you know, there'll be probably be an honest pace but it won't be overly fast if it's overly fast i'll be even happier but as we saw in the hill prints you know i mean he broke and and uh you know he kind of laid where he where he needed to be kendrick wrote him great and having him in a good position to uh finish those horses that did spread out a little bit so he was able to be kind of a free later like a free third there so uh uh, you know, hopefully maybe something like that will happen again today. Well, you mentioned Signator, and Integration will be among the favorites, if not the favorite, in the Pegasus World Cup 
Turf Invitational. Signator is going to be a long shot. He's 15-1 to on the morning line. You said pace will be huge for him since he comes from off the pace and he'll be running late. He'll need some help up front. Um, tell me more about him and how he's coming into this race. Well, I think he's doing fine. You know, I mean, I kind of like the idea of, you know, the backing up from a mile and eight that the aqueduct running a mile here. You know, uh, he has been doing, uh, he's been doing fine. I was, I thought he ran fine in New York. I was a little disappointed that he didn't win, but, you know, we got the outside post and I hope that, uh, uh, you know, speed develops on the inside of him or Javier can have him laying in a good position where we can finish and the speed will come back to us a little bit. I think uh, 15 to 1 is, I was a little surprised that the morning line was that high, and I don't think it'll be that high when, it, when the race goes off. But, uh, you know, I think he I think he belongs. Or, you know, I don't know. I know that horse of Baffert, uh, the Bernardini, so, you know, he'll come here and be ready to go, you know. But, uh, you know, he's had to ship all the way across the country, and, and I think sometimes that that can affect him. He's never been here, so... Uh, I think he'll probably be the favorite, but we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But my biggest my biggest hope is, you know, I I like to see a fast pace. Shug, before I let you go, I have to ask you about one more horse, and that's your first time starter in race number two, Corporate Power, the son of Curlin. I'm hearing some pretty good buzz about this horse from some folks that I've talked to. Um, he certainly has has looked the part in the mornings, hasn't he? Yeah, he's trained good, and, you know, I had him in an aqueduct, and uh, he came up a little, kind of like a little bruise in his foot or something, so I had to scratch him race day. And, uh, you know, we were going to really like him that day. This is, you know, I mean, a lot of it depends on what some of these other horses, you know, they've got a lot of pedigree, you know, how good they are. Uh, You know, but I think that as long as we get a good effort out of him, we can move forward. But uh, I like him. You know, he shipped down here a little while ago from Payson Park, and I was really pleased with what I saw. He's really grown, and you know, so we'll we'll kind of kind of let <clears throat> let him tell us. And uh, I'm, I'm anxious to run him and to watch and see how he runs. But I think he's the kind of horse that racing wise, he's going to get better and better with with racing. Well, he's got the right coach in Hall of Famer Shug McGay. He Shug. Listen, I really appreciate the time. I know it's a very busy morning for you. You're always very generous, and uh, all the best later today. Go get it done. Let's go win. Let's go win four. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> all right. That's what we're planning on doing. All right. Good luck, Shug. Uh, thank you. Bye. Always fantastic, Shug McGahey. I didn't. We ran out of time. I didn't even get to ask him about inside information. Of course, they're honoring the great inside information, a horse he trained, and honoring inside information with the inside information stakes at Gulfstream today. Um, Shug does not have a horse in there, but uh, I know that that's one that he wishes he probably does. Uh, but she was uh, she was brilliant too. All right, when I come back, we're going to talk more about these Gulfstream stakes. I'll get into some of the X's and O's with Brian Natto, the analyst at Gulfstream Park. We'll do that right after your Legends of the Turf and this short commercial break. The World Championship of Thoroughbred Racing was on the line at the lovely, majestic Longchamp Racecourse just outside Paris on October 3rd, 1965. 
when the most prestigious Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe was about to unfold. And what a star-studded fielder was on hand to contest it. Meadowcourt from Ireland, Oncidium from England, Aniline from the Soviet Union, Ragazzo, Soderini, Diatomy, Reliance, Calife, Marco Visconti, Francis Great Seabird, the Big Chestnut, Little Tom Rolfe from America, and Free Ride, who was an entry with Diatomy. A huge crowd had gathered at the glorious Longchamp racecourse, which in all its splendor was among the aesthetically most beautiful in the world. It exuded class, and there was class aplenty on the racetrack to match it on this day. In the paddock, Seabird, the big local favorite, looked somewhat skittish and was sweating, as was Reliance, although it was a very warm day and the sun was beating down. Tom Rolfe, the American entry, was calm and created a stir among the crowd as he was ponied during the post-parade to the start. French racegoers had not been accustomed to that practice at their races. On Sidium, the English horse was showing signs of nervousness. Aniline, the Russian entry, was very businesslike, calm, and quiet. At the starting post, on Sidium caused some problems, but the rest of the field lined up in perfect order. At the break, Marco Visconti went right to the front, Khalif picked up to chase, and Meadowcourt and Aniline were up near the front as well. Seabird, with Australian Pat Glennon in the saddle, and Reliance, with renowned Eve Samartan up, were well-rated in no difficulty, running fifth and sixth. They were obviously stalking the leaders, waiting for the right time to make that one big run. The going was on the soft side of Longchamp that day, and America's Tom Rolfe was showing definite signs of difficulty in handling it. He was far back and never really got into the hunt, so to speak. As the field rounded the bend and started for home at the top of the stretch, Glennon let loose on Seabird, and he chewed up huge pieces of turf with long, smooth strides until he veritably flew by the front quartet to assume command at the top of the straight to pull out to an open six-length lead. That incredible display of speed had shot him forward as though propelled by a rocket. Saint-Martin asked his Mount Reliance for a move at the same time Seabird moved, but there was no way he could stay with the flying French chestnut. Seabird maintained the margin to win by six open lengths over the previously unbeaten Reliance, and it was another five back to Diatomy with free ride fourth and Aniline fifth. Seabird had turned in a phenomenal effort totally dominating the other 19 horses in the field, and he was now to be compared with the famous Rebo. After retirement from the racetrack, Seabird came to stand at Stud in America for John W. Galbraith, and as a consequence, his legacy lives on in the world of American racing. That performance, October 3rd, 1965 at Longchamp in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe was indeed a great moment in thoroughbred racing. This is HRRN. Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
The race is on at Sam Houston Race Park. Get in on exciting thoroughbred racing action every weekend. Join us Saturday, January 27th for the Houston Racing Festival with five stakes races, contests, a jockey trainer meet and greet, and more. Plus, Sam Houston is the place for live music and great drink specials every Friday, along with the best Sunday brunch around. Race in for all the excitement, starting with the Houston Racing Festival at Sam Houston Race Park. Visit SHRP.com for details. The 2024 Stallion roster at Adina Springs North offers exciting opportunities for breeders. Tap into the famed Leafards Delta family with American Guru, a winner over a mile on turf in 132.09. His sire produced classic winners Empire Maker, Grindstone, and Red Bullet, and his first runners are on track in 2024. Shaman Ghost is Ghost Sapper's best son, a multiple grade one winner of $3.8 million. His first crop of Ontario sired runners start in 2024. Adina Stallion's silent name is the only son of Sunday Silence at Stud in North America and Canada's champion sire three years in a row. Signature Red is the only son of Bernstein at Stud in Canada and the best value stud in the country. And Dynaformer's heir, Point of Entry, is Canada's number one sire by progeny earnings, turf sired, and average earnings per runner on turf in 2023. Learn more at adinastallions.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. National treasure off the turning run. Blazing sevens alongside. Mage is two and a half lengths behind them. Red Rob will cut the corner, and they're into the stretch. National treasure taken on by Blazing Sevens. Mage wanders inside. Still work to do with him. National treasure digging in. Blazing Sevens. Mage is third. National treasure. It's Blazing Sevens. Putting on a show in the Preakness. Who's it gonna be? It's gonna be National Treasure. John Velasquez gets his Preakness. And Bob Baffert has won his eighth one. Blazing seventh to a second best. Page ends up third. And a great stretch run in the Preakness stage. Well, once again, Larry Colmus with the call of last year's Preakness stakes, won by a very game National Treasure. He returns today in the Pegasus World Cup Invitational. $3 million on the line, a mile and an eighth journey in front of him and all of the contenders in this year's Pegasus World Cup. And it's going to be a huge day at Gulfstream Park. Post time for the World Cup as, by the way, is race 13. The final race on the program is 540 Eastern. It is uh, one of many greatest stakes races on tap at Gulfstream later today. And... Nobody knows that better than Brian Natto, who is with me now. He is the analyst at Gulfstream Park, does a great job uh, handicapping down there, and he's going to walk through all the races with me now. Brian, good morning. Hey, Mikey, good morning. Good to uh, hear from you, and uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, always love talking racing, and and here we go. Uh, Pegasus World Cup Day, uh, national treasure. He is the morning line favorite for Hall of Famer Bob Baffert. But listen, he ain't exactly a win machine, is he? Yeah, he doesn't have to win. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The race goes through him. I think he's, at the end of the day, the most talented horse. But you, you said it uh, well, Mike. He's not exactly uh, all that fond of the winner's circle. So there's definitely different ways you can go in the race. I do feel like uh, he does get all the best of it in that he's got speed and, and, and can be placed anywhere. And he drew perfectly uh, as well. And, you know, we've seen now over the course of, of history, 
in the Pegasus that you, you really do need to be close. And that's just a general theme over the main track here. Uh, you know, horses are not going to loop horses in races like this. you got to have some tactical speed at the very least. So let's assume that National Treasure is beatable in this spot. Which other horses are you going to look at to provide some value? Well, I think it's obvious first mission is, is to me at least, next next man up, so to speak, on the totem pole. Um, you know, he's got a world of upside. I don't think we've seen a lot of – I don't think we've seen a lot of first missions in this race, Mike. We've seen established horses. We've seen the Knicks goes, you know, the Airgates and those kinds of horses. Life is good that have already come here, and, and we know their jam. We know how good they are and, and what they can do. Um, you know, first mission, we don't know that yet. He's still got so much upside and, and he wasn't able to make the preakness that you just played before I jumped on with you. And, and now Brad Cox is finally starting to get some races in with him, finally starting to get a campaign into him. So, uh, I think he comes here ready to run the race of his life. Is that going to be good enough? Well, like you, you said, we'll find out at about what, 545 or yourself so today. Yeah, yeah. I I describe this race as I open the show as being a well matched field. I don't think that you necessarily have a superstar in here, at least not yet in their careers. They could develop into one over the next eleven months or so as we uh, move through twenty twenty four. But it's a well matched field. The leader in this division, White Abario, decided to skip this race in favor of the Saudi Cup at the end of February. I wish he was here. Uh, I think he would be a standout in this spot, and I, I just would, from a fan standpoint, would have loved to have seen him compete in this race. Yeah, I know 11 others that aren't, are pretty happy he's not here because <laughs> <laughs> if National Treasure is 9-5 to five on the, the morning line in this race, as you kind of hinted at, what's White Barrio? So, yeah, it's unfortunate. We would have loved to have him. It would have been great. Um, but, you know, the Pegasus can make some stars, too. And I think whoever does win this race and, and, and steps up to the plate, uh, you know, if it is national treasure, then he stamps himself as clearly one of the best handicap horses in the country. And if it's somebody else, uh, well, then they throw their hat into the ring and then, you know, you get to see how the year progresses. So there's still plenty of obvious uh, excitement to it. Which other horses do you view as major players in here? Uh, Grant Aspen is a horse that I thought ran very, very well in the local prep, the Harland Holiday. O'Connor won it, and he drew perfectly uh, down on the inside. So I think those are the two, to me, um, that that have a, a puncher's chance, an upset chance at, you know, 8 or 10 to 1. Grant Aspen has trained very, very forwardly since that race, um, even maybe catching, you know, the Hall of Famer Todd Fletcher by surprise a little bit with how well he's trained. So I think he's a horse and he's got the right running style uh, too to, to make a dent in this kind of race. Again, I'm looking at horses, you know, I've heard a lot of talk about a senior Buscador who, you know, I, I was, I got beat up for making 20 to one on the morning line. I just, I don't see, I don't, Mike, I don't see a path to victory for a horse like that in this race um, with his running style, drop out the back and try to loop literally 11 horses. I just, I don't see how that works in a race like this. I don't care how quick they go up front. You know, a lot of people are talking pace and a lot of people are talking, you know, using words like hellacious and things like that. I mean, hoist the goal is going. It's not like National Treasure is a runoff. You know, I don't really, I don't really envision it. I guess we'll probably figure it all out. Uh, there is a very, very quick run to the first turn, so there's some horses that are going to have to go in some way, shape, or form. But I don't really view this race as you know falling apart in the lane because you're going too fast early. 
Do you give Hoist the goal, the puncher's chance? Uh, if, they, if they remarkably cut the race back from nine furlongs to seven before <laughs> five forty-five in the afternoon, I would. Yes, but no, I can't. I just think it's. <laughs> I think it's. It's just way too big of an ask. You don't see a two-turn race on his form, so uh, you'll know where he is early. I question where where he'll be late. How about trademark? Yeah, he's 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 kind of a Churchill horse to me. Um, it's funny though. I was, you know, doing this morning line, and I've got first mission was an easy, clear second choice to me, and the horse that beat him in the in the Clark is fifteen to one or maybe twelve to one. Uh, and I was like, geez, fifteen to one. Excuse me. And I said, is that right? But he just seems like everything he's done uh, has been at Churchill, and everything he's not done has been away from Churchill. So um, I, I he's kind of one of those fade horses to me today. Well, it's a really solid renewal, at least in terms of the the, the well-balanced nature of this Pegasus World Cup field. Uh, our poll question today, Brian, I'm asking people uh, who their pick is to win the Pegasus World Cup, and I gave them the two favorites, National Treasure and First Mission, and then an other category. And so far, First Mission is getting most of the respect from HRN Nation, 42%. 38% for National Treasure. So those two vying for the favorites role in this poll anyway. But David replies and says Nimitz class could get a great trip with no speed to the outside. Is he right? Um, yeah, he's a ginormous long shot. Um, he could get a good trip. Yeah, I mean, he could sit a nice trip. He's drawn very cozily inside. I mean, anybody out there just kind of, maybe a little new to this race or not make sure you look at your racing form or whatever you got and look at the circumference of this race it is a darn quick run to that first turn so if you're inside you've got a big bonus if you're outside you're in, you're in deep deep water skippy long stockings you're terribly so he's got problems um yeah nimitz class is one of those horses that does have you know a couple races that listen nobody in this race is you know running won 14 buyers you know what i mean i know national treasure comes in off a huge figure that's his only huge figure ever um so the gang is kind of all grouped together but i do kind of feel like class will play out in a in a race like this and, and the nimitz classes of the world are really really up against it so who is your top pick to win the pegasus world cup yeah, I wish I had something clever or sexy for you, Mike. It's just straight 7-8 to the hoop for me. I just feel like National Treasure, not only is he the best horse, I just feel like the best horse has the best running style for this race, and I think First Mission is, is a clear-cut second. Um, I just, I, I, you know, I'm not a guy that loves picking favorites, but in this spot I was pretty pretty reserved to just thinking you know what this is the best horse bob baffert's done this time and time again he's won this race before this race is like a perfect for a bob baffert speedy kind of horse with cruising speed and staying power and i just think that that is national treasure all right, 540 Eastern, the post time for the $3 million Pegasus World Cup Invitational. Again, it is the final race of the day at Gulfstream, race number 13. The race preceding it, Brian, is the Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational, mile and an eighth on the grass. Just heard from Hall of Fame trainer Shug McGahey in the previous segment talking about his 3-1 to one, uh, morning line, I, I guess you'd call it co-favorite, if you will. I guess 3-1 to one would be second choice behind Warm Heart. So, um he he was high on on integration, but he knows he has to step up in this spot. What do you think? 
Yeah, I agree with everything. I was uh, I was able to talk to Shug uh, earlier, uh, I guess it would be last week, and we're going to air a bunch of interviews here if you're watching the simulcast feed and things like that. Um, and he was, he was rightfully so, very high on him. And Shug, you know, the patient Hall of Famer that he is, um, Shug doesn't bring horses to, to, to races. They bring him. And, and the fact that integration has just taken him to those races and he's dominated those races and he is stepping up today. There's no doubt about it, but you could have a potentially vulnerable favorite and warm heart who is, you know, running the final race of her career. We've seen Coolmore do this before, you know, a swan song kind of a race and what's left in the tank after a pretty darn arduous campaign. So integration comes here, definitely, you know, the up and comer on the common and uh, he's, he's my pick if I'm giving it away, but I, I think he's in a great spot in here, Mike. He drew well. He's got enough tactical speed to, to be close, and this is a very fast and firm and speedy turf course, so we don't know how that will play to warm heart either. So, yeah, I think he's a definite. If you're playing these big horizontals and stuff, to me, he's an absolute must-use A in there. What other horses are you looking to hook up with him in maybe exactas, trifectas, superfectas? Well, clearly the race goes through warm heart. I mean, I think yeah. you're really, you're really uh, probably doing yourself a disservice by if you're not using her at all, um, because this is a solid race, but she is a legitimate Group One European performer, and that's trouble, as you know, and the audience knows. When we get those kind of horses that come to America, that's trouble for our horses because they're not going to class up on the whole to what they have going on over uh, in Europe. So I think she's an absolute must use. I'll say this, King Max um, ran huge in the Fort Lauderdale. And um, I liked him. And I remember my last comment as I went onto the track, I said, you know, King's Max, he's a really nice horse. Is he a grade two Fort Lauderdale kind of horse? And I said, I don't know. And he certainly answered the bell in that race. uh, And he's going to be an inviting price in here. So he's one of the ones, and the horse that won the Fort Lauderdale. I'll tell you what, Mike, the race is probably going to play out just like it did in the Fort Lauderdale. It is it is main event to catch. And if they let him walk early, uh, he can get very brave. He loves this turf course. I don't see a lot of other horses that want to or can run with him. And he's probably going to be out there doing his thing again. And, and uh, you know, at 10 or 12 to 1, you could do worse than having that kind of trip in a race like this. Gulfstream analyst Brian Natto here on the Horse Racing Radio Network walking through the Pegasus World Cup Day Stakes races. We're going back to front, if you will, uh, starting with the World Cup and working backwards. Race 11 is the Fred Hooper, the grade three, one mile on the main track. Here's Bob Baffert again. He's in the spotlight with Hijazi, who has, who has been pretty solid throughout much of his career. How do you see this one? Yeah, I just said, Mike, that I want. I thought Steel Sunshine ran sneaky good in the Harlan's Holiday. He was the only horse coming from off the pace that did any running. So I kind of said to myself, listen, wherever he pops up, I'm going to bet him next time, and that's today. I do think at a one-turn mile, it's a better trip for him. Uh, they're going to have to run huge to beat Hijazi. He's loose. He's inside. He's one-turn mile. There's no problem there. Uh, he could be the next. We talk about, you know, Step it up in the handicap division, Mike. He could be it. Um, he has got a world of potential and upside. You see that second to Speedboat Beach. I mean, that's a monster effort. I don't see anyone in here running second to Speedboat Beach. So he's legitimately, he could be even money in this race. 
The race prior to that is the Pegasus World Cup Philly and Mare Turf Invitational, mile and 16th on the grass. Who are the major players in here? Yeah, that's a fun race, Mike. This one, I think you're you're allowed to get a little creative, a little funky, maybe. Um, certainly, the horse to beat is Star Fortress. That race at Churchill Downs, and her what was her first start for Cherie Devoe and first U.S. start. Uh, it was freakish. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Now, can she do it away from Churchill? We know how weird that turf course was or is and can be. Uh, remains to be seen. Um, fluffy socks is legitimate grade one kind of horse for Chad Brown who got a W yesterday to get off the, the schneid. So he's set up for a big day. Queen goddess won this race last year. She's going to have to run better, but she could do it again. Didia is in here. Uh, I believe, I don't even know if it's late breaking or not. I do believe full count Felicia is going to come out. I, I heard that mm. late yesterday. I think she's coming out. Uh, Ruby Nell, that's my pick. That's my long shot today. She has got wild speed from California. Can she last a mile on the 16th? I don't know. Her connections are going to see if they can hold their breath for a minute and 41 or two seconds and see if she can do it. But, boy, she has got crazy speed, and she'll flaunt it out there, and I think that might carry her home here. So this is a fun race, Mike. There will be a lot of people playing all these horizontals that I don't know if they'll use the all ball, but this is the race to me where you go, you can go six or seven deep. That's race number 10, the Philly and Mare Turf Invitational. Race number 9 is the grade 2 inside information. The race before that, race 8, is the grade 3 William L. McKnight. Brian, got about a minute and a half left for these two races, so I'll let you take it from here and, and walk me through each one. Yeah, I like Bluefield. I like her at a little bit of a price in the inside information. We all root for Mary quite contrary around here. She won the race last year. Um, and she's right back this year with a huge, huge chance. But I thought Bluefield ran pretty well in the local prep, the Sugar Swirl. And uh, the McKnight is a good one. Obviously, Chad's got a couple in there, Francisco Clemente and Stone Age. But I like for staff and for Brendan Walsh, who's been overdue to get going here. And this is a horse with some speed and, and tactical speed. And, you know, you go three turns on the turf, you got to be there close, I think. You don't want to lose ground around those three turns. And I think he has that right kind of running style. Such a pro. Race six, by the way, I have just a, a few seconds left. The La Prevoyante, who do you see as the winner there? Yeah, I don't want to call it a match race, Mike, but clearly the two favorites tower over the field, Ramaja Mia and R. Cali Kim. I, I went with the latter, R. Cali Kim. I think she's got a little more turn of foot than Ramaja Mia, who's more of a grinder, and I think that's a good way to get to the winner's circle today. Loaded day. We got through all the greatest stakes. Brian, you're the best, man. Thank you very much. Enjoy the day. Good luck at the windows, my friend. Yeah, Mikey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, and uh, let's hope to catch up soon. All right, Brian Natto here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. When I come back, it is time for this week's edition of Calling All Three-Year-Olds, presented by Spendthrift, and I'll get you ready for a very busy second hour of the program. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. The National HBPA is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. 
Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information, or instant payment email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the horse racing radio nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They're all in line. And they're off. Spendthrift Farm presents Calling All Three-Year-Olds with Bobby Newman. 42 total Kentucky Derby qualifying points were on the line in the Grade 3 Lecomte Stakes at Fairgrounds last Saturday. A field of six competed over a mile and a 16th. Track Phantom and Nash, the first and third place finners respectively in the Gunrunner Stakes, renewed their rivalry and were both heavily bet in the Lecomte. Track Phantom and jockey Joel Rosario were intent on the lead from the start, so Nash and Florent Giroux let them clear and decided to track from second. Track Phantom got away with modest fractions and easily went on to score the wire-to-wire win with Nash following him all the way around and finishing second best. With the victory, Track Phantom earned 20 derby points, bumping his total to 30, tied at the top with Breeders' Cup juvenile champ Fierceness. Look for Track Phantom next in the Risen Star at Fairgrounds on February 17th. Speaking of fierceness, he remains on path toward the Grade 3 Holy Bull at Gulfstream, one of four Grade 3 races now scheduled for Saturday, February 3rd. The other three are the Withers at Aqueduct, the Robert B. Lewis at Santa Anita, and the Southwest at Oaklawn. 
It'll be a super busy Saturday, partly because poor weather at Oaklawn Park last week for several cancellations. The Southwest Stakes, which was originally planned for today, was pushed back in order to give horses and people more time to prepare. Next week, we'll preview all four of those major three-year-old races. Will this year's Kentucky Derby winner be competing somewhere on February 3rd? There's a very good chance. I'll be back with this week's top five list right after this word from Spendthrift. Cyberknife was a very talented horse from day one. Fast horse, able to carry it around two turns. Looks a tremendous amount. Like Gunrunner, same ability and talent. Holds the track record in the Haskell. We won it in impressive fashion, beating a very good group of horses. about him passing on his durability, his soundness, and his talent. He could definitely be a breed-shaping stallion. Multiple grade one winner Cyberknife standing at Spendthrift. This week's top five list of derby contenders looks like this. Number five, Locked. The Breeders' Futurity Champ ran well when third in the Breeders' Cup. Looks like distance is his friend. Number four, Dornock. He was tenacious in his Remsen win and is pointing for the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream on March 2nd. Number three, Sierra Leone, extremely green in the stretch of the Remsen. Look for him to try the grade two Risen Star at Fairgrounds on February 17th next. Number two is Fierceness. The Breeders' Cup champ is back working and planning for the Holy Bull at Gulfstream on February 3rd. And number one, Nysos, the Baffert trainee, will need a barn change to earn derby points, but there's no question that he's super talented. That's your Calling All Three-Year-Old segment presented by Spendthrift, the Breeders' Farm. And we are now under 100 days until the run for the roses, 98 days from today, the first Saturday in May. A thought to warm you up on this Saturday morning. Um, Going to be fantastic. And that road to the Derby, as you just heard Bobby talk about in that segment, uh, is going to be heating up very, very quickly after we get past today's Pegasus World Cup program at Gulfstream Park. Plenty to come in our number two. And by the way, um, when Brian Natto picks a horse on this show, it obviously moves the needle because I told you just a few minutes ago that it was first mission as the leader in our poll question this morning. First mission had a significant lead over National Treasure, and now it is National Treasure who has surged to the front after Brian picked him to win the race. 42% of you saying it's National Treasure who is going to win today's Pegasus World Cup. 33% on first mission and just 25% saying it's going to be somebody other then the two favorites, you can continue to vote all the way through the show here this morning at HRRN on our Twitter page. You can also do that Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook. And if you don't do social media, email the show, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net. I'm back with hour number two right after a 10-second pause for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Hour two of three rolling on on a very busy Saturday morning. If you missed any portion of the first hour of the program, well, you missed a lot. You missed Hall of Fame trainer Suge McGahee talking about his runners later today at Gulfstream Park and Gulfstream analyst Brian Natto walking through the big races coming up 
later today. Fantastic stuff from those two. You can check out the podcast of this entire show after we finish up at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can do that on our website, horseracingradio.net, and you can do it on every podcast platform. So however you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, Podbean, however you do it, type in Horse Racing Radio Network and follow along with us each and every week. Hour two is going to begin with Kelly Dorman momentarily. I'm getting ready to welcome him to the program. This is going to be a, a really tremendous privilege to get a chance to talk with Kelly coming up here in a minute. We are efforting him as we speak. Uh, Nick Tamaro going to be with me at 920 Eastern and Brett Calhoun at 940. So the first hour of the program had a chance to talk about all the big races at Gulfstream. Later in the show, we're going to talk about all the big races coming up at Sam Houston later today on Houston Ladies Classic Day. Um, 10 o'clock Eastern, you're going to hear from James Scully with the Twin Spires Triple Play. He will give you three races you can watch and bet at Twin Spires later today. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history at 1020. A really, really well-produced story about the great swale. And at 1030, I ask, they answer with Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin. Looking forward to that conversation uh, coming up here shortly as well get a chance to talk about some of the hottest topics in the game with them. And one of the things that Dale and Tim will do is they'll share their thoughts on the Eclipse Awards and some of the moments that stood out most to them, maybe some of the surprises, some of the things that they didn't expect to see. Um, but that should be excellent coming up at 1030 Eastern. One of the highlights, if not the highlight, of the entire evening was getting to see Cody's Wish crowned Horse of the Year and Champion older male, and boy, was he deserving of those two honors. There's no doubt about it. Kelly Dorman, the father of Cody Dorman, the namesake of Cody's Wish, was privileged enough to stand on stage with his wife, Leslie, and his daughter, Kylie, and accept that Horse of the Year award for the folks at Godolphin. They are all class, and I know that nobody knows that better than Kelly Dorman, who indeed is with me right now on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Kelly, good morning. Good morning, man. I, thanks for having me on. I appreciate Welcome back it. to the bluegrass. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, I wish I could have brought that Florida weather with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you return victorious. It's kind of like winning a national championship and then you, you know, or the Super Bowl, <laughs> and then you had a pretty pleasant flight home, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Everything went pretty smooth. We, we, uh, uh had a late flight. We'd done that on purpose. Uh, uh, took, uh, Wanted to go down to the beach, let Kylie see the ocean. She, that's the first time she ever got to see it. I wasn't going to, certainly wasn't going to be that close to it and not let that happen. So, uh, had a good morning yesterday and the flight and everything went smooth and, uh, got to sleep in her own bed. So, uh, uh, it's all good. One of the things you mentioned in that heartfelt and emotional speech that you gave when you were accepting, you said, I never would have dreamed five years ago when all this happened that I would be standing right here doing this. So how do you put into words what it was like to be standing up there in front of the entire thoroughbred world accepting that trophy? I mean, just just being invited to, to the Eclipse Awards itself was, was such an honor. And, uh, uh, you know, Dan Pride uh, from Godolphin had uh, – Asked me to, if, if, you know, if Cody's wish won the horse of the year, if, if I would do the acceptance speech. And, uh, yeah, I, the honor 
of him doing that. Of course, you know, Godolphin, uh, you know, as good of an organization as they are, that was their first horse of the year. Uh, and uh, to let me do the speech, uh, uh, I mean, that you got to give a lot of credit to them. That shows how humble they are and, and, the, and the type of people they are. And uh, it was one of the biggest honors I've ever had, you know, to speak, uh, you know, in part for them, in part for Cody's wish, uh, especially, you know, Cody, you, you can't mention one without the other, of course. But, uh, um, you know, uh, I always say that, you know, I, I don't, you know, Cody's, Cody, him and that horse has put me up in front of a lot of crowds to speak. <laughs> and uh, that that is way out of my wheelhouse. And uh, uh, I, you know, I, there's always things I wish I could have said that uh, you, you know after the fact, uh, you know, looking back at it and stuff. But I, I just I've never write notes down and stuff. I always say that you know I can read and write. I just can't read and talk. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I, the words I don't know where they come from. It's just I, I always say that just it's uh, him and that horse. Uh, you know, uh, Godolphin, the whole the horse racing world has embraced us so much. I just, I just read the words that they've all tattooed on my heart, and that's just, that's just how it does, how it works. Uh, uh, and and I, I thank them, and, and it's just um, a memory that uh, you know, I don't know I don't think I'll ever come down. I, I don't know if I want to call it a memory or a dream. I, come down off of it but uh, it was an incredible night and a lot of great people great horses uh, uh, just a top-notch event and uh, i thank uh, everybody involved in it all the sponsorships uh, ntra uh, mr rooney uh, he came up to me kylie didn't know she was going to go up on stage and he had uh, came to me before the event started and he, he asked me he thought uh, you know he said it's well, Kylie be okay if I called her up after the event. I wanted to give her something. And uh, I said, yeah, she should be fine. And uh, I had no idea what it was. I thought they were doing something after the show was over. And, you know, when he got up and got to talking in a few more, uh, just about a few seconds before he called her up, I kind of uh, it sunk in pretty quick what was going on. And she handled it like a champ. I'm really proud of her. <clears throat> You know, Kelly, I, I think of all the wonderful movies that have been produced about thoroughbred racing over the years, and, and if somebody were to come along and, and take this story and the ride that you and your family have gone on with Cody's Wish over the past couple of seasons, um, and they were to say, hey, this should be made into a movie, I, I think it would really do a lot of good for a lot of people. W what would you say? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I was thinking this morning you know uh of uh you know like i said a while ago you know there's things you wish you could say you know you don't have so much time and you're you're so running on adrenaline and the emotion you know when you speak of this but uh, you know that you know the movie needs to represent uh adversity not only with uh for kids like uh you know, Cody, everything he faced, you know, uh, that was an inspiration for so many kids. You know, it was people's reached out for, for uh, to us for 
for quite a while now, uh, showing how much their children follow this and things they've been through, and you know, adults too. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it could uh, done the right way. It, it could be so inspiring. Uh, you know, uh, um, you know, just show people there's a light at the end of the tunnel, no matter what you're facing. And uh, uh, you know that I, I'll tell you. At all the races that Cody's Wish ran, and uh, the you know as incredible as it was, something Leslie said to me after his first race, that first race he ran always stuck to me, stuck with me, and I was thinking about it this morning. I just had it on my mind, and uh, uh, you know he finished third place, and uh, uh, you know we were excited. You know, we got sitting here watching TV with, with a racehorse on there named after your son. And just, you know, you know, how much better can that get, you know? And, uh, you know, he, he did it. The results wasn't what we was wanting. We was wanting to win and, you know, everything would be perfect. But, you know, he was horrible coming out of the gate. You know, he uh, got shuffled in and out of the pack several times around during the race. You know, I think the, uh, Junior was on in the first race, uh, I think he had to pull up. He almost ran over another horse, and then he got outside that last turn, and he got outside and just dug in, and you could start seeing the fight and the, and the will to try to get up, you know, get to the top. And, and uh, you know, he finished third, but, I, you know, he didn't quit. So, uh, you know, we watched that race, I bet, 20 times after that, and I come in from work one day, and, Leslie said, uh, sit down here. I want to, I want you to watch something on TV. And I said, okay. And she put the race back on. I, I was sitting there thinking, you know, you know, we've seen it so many times. Uh, what am I looking at now? And, 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 you know, after you watch it that much, it kind of slows down or you can see a story develop in each horse during the race, you know, kind of made more sense. And I watched, uh, I watched that and she looked at me and she goes, he ran that race like Cody's always lived his life. You know, there was always a mountain in front of him, but, you know, he was climbing and he would get so far up and get knocked down and everything. And just her making that comment, uh, that set the tone for everything, every race he ever ran. I, I don't know, you know, if he ran a race and he was clean in the winter circle, I don't remember. <laughs> but he, I guess he, uh, you know, kind of like Rocky, you know, he has to get a few blows, get some dirt <laughs> in the face before he really really uh digs in gets going yeah just just to make him a little mad and then he he kind of takes over from there he finished third in each of his first three starts and then after that he didn't finish third very often only one other time um in that brilliant career for cody's wish talking with kelly dorman the father of cody dorman who is the namesake of horse of the year cody's wish a, a wonderful night thursday evening in south florida kelly were, were you in Leslie horse racing fans before all of this came about through make a wish. Uh, yeah, you know, we liked, uh, you know, a lot of the bigger races, you know, Derby, especially Derby, you know, things like that. You know, we would go to, uh, Kingland at times. I hadn't been at Churchill in a, in a good while. Gosh, it probably since the nineties, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I would say casual at best, you know, I always admired them. It's just, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, I always fished a lot. Cody, Cody was, you know, loved fishing and stuff. You know, I mean, you can only have so many hobbies, but uh, uh, you know, not not 
certainly not to the extent we are now. I mean, I, I've learned so much about it, just the minute details in racing and stuff, and uh, still got a whole lot to learn. And uh, uh, I knew I had the bug real bad. It was a few years ago, you know, after, you know, when they, I think that first year he started winning. Uh, you know, I always, I love college football. I'm sitting there watching football one day, you know, I'm trying to watch two or three different games at a time and uh, just subconsciously uh, flipped over and was watching horse races. And I sat there for, you know, 10, 15 minutes and I just kind of had one of them moments like, what just happened, you know? <laughs> and uh, But uh, I, actually our TV's probably on racing more than it is anything else now. Uh, <laughs> Cody, Cody had it. Cody would have it on almost all day long. I mean, he he loved the, that horse. He loved the sport. And I tell you what, man, he was actually pretty good at picking horses. Uh, you know, uh, two years ago when Rich Strike uh, won the uh, Derby, uh, I, I I always you know I get you know we look at programs, look at stuff, and I let him pick out horses and stuff. He had the actual trifecta picked in order for that race. Uh, until Rich Strike come through there and blew it all up, but uh, mm. uh, yeah, uh, I don't I don't know how he done it, but he he, he was pretty good. He's a lot better than I am. Yeah, and and he was always right with Cody's wish too. I mean, every time he he came out and said he's, I feel like he's going to win today, and it was with complete conviction, and he believed it one hundred and ten percent, and he was always right. Yeah, the only time that he missed a call on that was uh at the Whitney. Yep. And he said he would win then. And, uh, uh, you know, what really got me, uh, uh, was two years ago, uh, Cody's wish got beat by scalding down at Tampa, uh, finished second by nose. Uh, Cody got up that morning and, you know, we were going to watch the race and it, uh, uh, you know, that was after he started his first winning streak there at Churchill. And uh, he'd laid, been in Florida, laid off all winter, uh, just trained. And uh, Cody was fussing that morning. And, you know, we thought, well, he's not feeling good or something. So Leslie got his tablet out, and he kept typing in his tablet. You know, he's not ready. He's not ready. And, I, you know, I told him, I said, Cody, I said, I said they're not going to run him if he's not ready. I said, he's, he's had a good break. You know, he's, he's going to be fine. You know, they wouldn't put him in a position to get him hurt or anything, you know, if they thought something was going on beforehand. He said, no, he's going to finish second. <laughs> and uh, wow. I pretty much, when I placed the bet, I, it, was, it, was, it was a gospel what he said. But, uh, no, the only only one he got wrong was the Whitney. Uh, you know, I took Kylie down to uh, uh, the barn uh, at the Oklahoma uh, that morning, she uh, she she uh, Bill Mott had a pony down there named Bugsy. She loved to ride him, so uh, I took her down there that morning to the race to, to uh, let her ride Bugsy. And we went over and seen Cody's Wish, and he just uh, uh, you know we seen him the day before, and he's kind of himself, you know, just uh, just doing his thing like he always does. wasn't nothing different. He looked kind of. I don't know. It rained all night. I don't know. You know, you know, horses like us, you know, they don't have good days too. So, uh, uh he just, uh, looked kind of sleepy, just, uh, wasn't in a good mood, you know, like he normally was. And then I noticed in the paddock, uh, you know, usually he's strutting around like he owns a place and stuff. He kind of had his head down in the paddock, you know, that day. And I just, 
I really just think he just wasn't in the mood to run. And I'm not taking anything away from White Barrio. Man, he ran a great race. And, uh, uh, he, you know, Cody Cody would have had to brought it all to beat him that day. You know, he ran phenomenal. But, he, you know, he just uh, – I thought he just had an off day. I don't uh, – me personally, I don't think it was as much the distance as, as uh, you know, him – just just wouldn't feel him that day. I you know I, I probably I think he would probably got beaten at a mile. Uh, but uh, you know nobody has told me anything. You know other than, you know that's just my own personal opinion. But uh, you know some other people noticed it too. He just uh, he just wouldn't strut any stuff. You know that morning. So uh, uh, I don't know. But that's well, the Kelly, only I. I have to tell you, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't take you on a little trip down memory lane here. I have a little treat planned for you, and we've got a few minutes left before I have to get to a commercial break, so I want to make sure we do this. But um, in addition to Cody's Wish being named Horse of the Year and champion older male, um, he was also honored with the NTRA Moment of the Year for his brilliant performance at the foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains, which sealed the deal for everything. So I want to take you back to that moment, November 4th. Here's the way it sounded from Larry Colmas. National Treasure has a two-length lead here. Skip Belong stocking the second. Cody's Wish has made his way up into third, and they're into the stretch. And it's National Treasure still there. Cody's Wish in between horses. Now up into second. On the outside, it's Skip Belong stocking. Here comes Cody's Wish. Alongside of National Treasure, Cody's Wish takes the lead. Cody's Wish and National Treasure coming down to the line. Fighting back National Treasure. Oh, Cody's Wish. Cody's Wish. I think he won it by a nose on the wire over National Treasure. Thank you, Cody. And thank you, Cody's Wish. Kelly, unbelievable. What was going through your mind as you're listening to Larry call that race here on radio? I think my heart was going through my mind. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and I, I, we that was one of the only races. Usually, they take take Cody down to the winter circle, which most of the winter circles aren't right at the finish line, but it was there. And uh, when he he crossed the line, I, I thought I was pretty sure he had uh, enough push to, to to win it. But you know, some of the photographs I've seen, man, that was close. It was very close. I mean. Uh, you know, uh, Cody's wish never started. Not one time I don't think I ever seen him break out of the gate good. And, and I always hoped, uh, you know, it, it, just to see him one time break good and, and just get out front, and, you know, get a good comfortable lead and and do uh, do that thing. But, uh, man, I mean, uh, he kept us on pins and needles all the time. You know, the further along, he, went, he always had that same style of racing, just laying back and then kicking in in the, in the end and, uh, you know, especially Breeders' Cup last year, and 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 actually Fulgo before that. Uh, you know, I was telling Leslie, we, you know, we, our nerves started picking up a lot more. I mean, you know, he's running against a lot better horses, and I thought, man, he can't, he can't keep doing that. You know, but uh, he he knew more about what he was doing than I certainly did. You know, by a long shot, uh, Cody was always comfortable with him, and uh, I tell you what, man, uh, Junior Alvarado. Uh, it, it was really special to watch them two grow together and, and learn each other o- over the, uh, you know, years and stuff. And they just, uh, uh, you know, it was just poetry in motion, I guess what you could say. Uh, it, it was very special. But that, uh, yeah, that, that 
Santa Anita race, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't really know the, the inquiry. I didn't know they'd went into an inquiry because uh, I think Nick Luck grabbed me and we were doing the interview, and I had my back to every, uh, everything on the track going on. And right after the interview, he told me that, and I thought, oh, man, this this, this can't be happening, you know. And uh, <laughs> when they said, uh, said no change, that place erupted. I mean, you could just see the feel the electricity, you know, go go through everybody in there. And uh, it was uh, uh, kind of, kind of like the same feeling we had at the Derby. That was actually our first Derby we'd ever been to. And uh, uh, 150,000 people uh, screaming and cheering for, for you, your son, uh, and, and the meaning behind all of it. Uh, actually, right before the Eclipse Awards, we were backstage when they announced Moment of the Year. And I was talking to Brittany. That's the first time I talked to Brittany since uh, – since the derby and I, I you know i went up to her and you know she gave me a big hug and first thing i said is i said Brittany, i want to apologize to you she said what for and i said i i clammed up quite a bit at the derby i i kind of <laughs> had some premeditated things i wanted to say but i said man when you get that many people uh screaming uh for you for your son you know and cody's wish i mean everything in your you remotely got in your mind just goes right out the window and uh I mean, that's uh, the energy is just, uh, I don't have the words to describe that. Look, Kelly, it, it's such a beautiful story. And on behalf of the entire racing industry, I want to say thank you to you and your family. And, and of course, all the folks at Godolphin and, and the entire team surrounding Cody's Wish, Hall of Famer Bill Mott, Junior Alvarado, um, so many wonderful people. And it's such a, a beautiful story. And, Kelly, I really appreciate you spending some time with me here this morning to share it with all of our listeners. And uh, we hope to see you around the racetrack again very, very soon. It sounds like we will. And no, really absolutely. do appreciate it, my friend. And, and you know, I, I know you got a commercial coming up, but I really want to th- take this time to thank everybody. And I mean top to bottom. I mean from, uh, you, know, you know, especially the fans, uh, you guys, the media. Uh, you know, I never – would imagine that I would be talking to media as much as I have, you know, writers, uh, news media, just anything. You guys have been great, so professional. <clears throat> I mean, this is uh, a story that I always I, I felt deep in my heart that I had to share. You know, I don't do it for myself. I do it for what it is, you know. it's, the, it's This was written from above, and uh, uh, the characters that got put in this story is, is you know, you couldn't have dreamed them up out of, you know, out of a fiction story. Uh, just you couldn't have done any better. And uh, Cody certainly has left us a great support group. I mean, um, you know, you have some bad days here and there, and, and you know, it's just it's hard, hard with him not being here. But you know, you get a text, a call, or a card, or something. Some of them from people you know, and some of them just out of the blue. And it, and you guys have helped us so much to cope with this and deal with this and. Uh, uh, you know, it just the the sense of pride of what he's <clears throat> what he done, the in, influence he had on people, kind of offsets some of the grief a little bit, you know. But uh, I can't thank everyone enough, and I'm not not singling anybody out or leaving anybody out. Yeah, I, we really appreciate that. That comes from all of us. Yep. Amen to that. Kelly Dorman here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Kelly, all the best to you and to. Leslie and Kylie, and um, congratulations again on, on just a remarkable ride. Well, thank you, and uh, we'll be seeing, seeing everybody at the track soon. 100%. We'll talk soon. 
Kelly Dorman here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Fantastic story there and, and uh, the, many great stories. Go back and listen to that conversation again on the podcast. You won't be disappointed. Uh, congratulations to Cody's Wish and the entire team surrounding that Horse of the Year campaign. When I come back, Nick Tamaro will be with me. We're going to focus on the big races coming up later today at Sam Houston. Stay with me. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older, where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Fans, the top jockeys, the top horses, they are all here at spectacular Santa Anita this winter. With first post time this weekend at 12.30, come early on Saturday for some world-class simulcast action from Gulfstream Park as they host a tremendous day of racing highlighted by the $3 million Pegasus World Cup Invitational. Our main event locally is the Great Two San Pasquale Stakes as a field of eight older horses go a mile and one-eighth in preparation for the Grade 1 Santa Anita Handicap on March 2nd. On Saturday, Saturday, you can compete for seats in the next NHC BCBC Ultimate Betting Challenge and the 2025 PWCBC. You can play on track or online at expressbet.com. And don't forget, the traditional pick six is back with a $1 minimum and Gulfstream Park and Santa Anita combined for the $1 coast-to-coast pick five with a low 15% takeout. Santa Anita, it's the great race place. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile. The grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Pauline's Pearl has picked a wide path for a trip around the outside. The Mary Rose has now been overhauled by Golden Curl. Pauline's Pearl waiting in the wings. Audrey's time trying to advance from fourth and coming outside for a bid after Pauline's Pearl. Golden Curl and Pauline's Pearl battling. Audrey's time trying to angle out left-handed drive farther back. Becca's rocket or a surgeon, the Mary Rose. Pauline's Pearl's in front. Pauline's Pearl by a length and a half now and edging clear. Golden Curl, also Audrey's time. Pauline's Pearl paves her path to victory. Golden Curl was second, then Audrey's time. Becca's Rocket, the Mary Rose, Velvet Crush, and Champagne Affair. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, all presented by Twin Spires every Saturday morning here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, taking you right up until 11 a.m. Eastern. Pauline's Pearl winning the Houston Ladies Classic for Hall of Fame trainer Steve Asmussen one year ago. Steve will look to add to his record number of wins in the race. He's won it three times. He'll look to add to that. Later this afternoon, you're going to hear from trainer Brett Calhoun coming up in just about uh, 12 or 13 minutes from right now. He'll talk about the likely favorite in that race later today. But right now, Nick Tamaro is with me. He'll walk through that race and some of the others on a huge, huge day of racing at Sam Houston. Nick, good morning. Morning, Mike. How you doing? 
Good, good. Who was that guy with the call last year? I'll tell you, he was uh, he was a rookie that year. He didn't sound too bad. I thought to myself, I could use some of those words again. I, I think he did a pretty good job, buddy. And uh, listen, th- this year's race, um, not not the biggest field we've ever seen, but you always get good quality in the Houston Ladies Classic. And you look at some of the names that have come through this race in, in past years, Latruska, Lady Apple, Midnight Bisu. Just those three are enough to make this race uh, you know, in the upper echelon of stakes races, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. We've we've uh, really seen it kind of develop over the years as a springboard for horses into the latter part of their uh, their res- respective campaigns. And you know, we had Forever Unbridled win it in 2016. She went on to win the Eclipse the following year. We had Unbridled Mo win it in 2017. She won the Apple Blossom in 2018. So we've had a lot of success with horses running well in the Houston Ladies Classic and going on with it. Pauline's Pearl, of course, won it in 2022 and won the La Troyenne later in the year. So. We're proud of the race that it's become, and obviously this division, you often trade out quantity for quality because there just aren't an abundance of uh, of distaffers out there, especially that are ready to run in late January. But what you're hoping is that you're catching horses that maybe have some graded black type, like a hidden connection, um, and some that could be on the up to, to potentially grab some later in the year, like uh, Bellamore or Dear Lady um, that we have in, in this particular running. Yeah, I mentioned Hall of Famer Steve Asmussen. Bella More is his entrant in this year's Houston Ladies Classic. She's no stranger to competing on the big stage. When you look through her past performances, you see an awful lot of G1, G2, G3s listed there. Hidden connection for Brett Calhoun. I mentioned he's going to be with me coming up in in 10 or 12 minutes. Um, Hidden connection has been ultra consistent for much of her career. Uh, She comes out of that nice win at at the fairgrounds. Nine to five morning line favorite. What do you make of her chances? Obviously, pretty good. Yeah, the horse to beat, I'd say by far. Um, she ran in this race last year, performed very well. Probably ran a winning race, especially where she was on the racetrack that day. It was a big advantage to go wide. Uh, it was a day where we had taken a lot of rain throughout the afternoon, and the inside pass got a little heavy. So I thought she ran very well. It, you know, she had a couple of of brushes with strong performances last year. She nearly won the double dot dare. And then she ran poorly in the Chaluki. And I know her connections wanted to see her bounce back. And uh, she did so nicely in the Spanky Broussard. Um, I think the only concern with hidden connection is that she might just be a bit better Philly when she can run with Lasix. With that said, you look through her past performances and she's run fine without it. So I'm not overly concerned about something like that. She also has the type of running style where she doesn't really need to take her racetrack with her. Um, she's got enough speed to, to stay close, and that feels like with an outside draw, even in a compact field, it gives her a little bit of an edge. What are the chances that Steve Asmussen picks up win number four in the Ladies Classic? I think they're pretty pretty good, um, and, and I like that you pronounced Bellamore with me. I think our ancestors hail from probably the same sunny peninsula, and that is not <laughs> Bellamore. Um, I did, yeah, I did want to. I, I have no access to Kaleem Shah, but I'm going to go with that. So let's hope it's the, the day of her biggest win, right? Um, you know, she's a horse, as you alluded to. She's not heads with some really heavy, some heavies in this division. You know, running against Idiomatic and the Spinster, and even last time out in the Fall City. I mean, I think Kijara when when the, rate, uh, the bigger racing later in the year gets started, is going to be the, the lead in this distaff division pretty clearly. So um, if you're known by the company you keep, then Bellamore is going to be popular, and I would envision that she'll get a, a good kind of setup as well. There's not an abundance of speed in here, but there are horses that want to be forward and interested in the pace, and she's probably one 
but it's going to take back and make uh, a little bit of a late run. So it's encouraging to see Steve with a horse in the race anytime. And um, I know that he's, uh, he's gotten her down to Houston a couple of weeks ago to get her ready. And Steve Asperson and Stuart Elliott have won the uh, riding and training titles at Sam Houston. I don't know the last time Steve did it, to be honest with you, Mike, but Stewart's won the last four and is well on his way to another um, this year. So they're, they're going to be a, a very, very strong participant. Nick, if you want to make sure that you and I are indeed correct with Bella More, I'm going to give you a little pro tip. Head back and watch Kurt Becker's call of the spinster on October 8th because that guy, after having worked with Kurt for so many years now, is the greatest researcher, and he is a stickler for names and getting everything right. So if Kurt Becker goes with Bella More, I promise you it is the right pronunciation. That's my route. Knowing Kurt, uh, not as well as you do, but I'm, I've always been a huge Kurt Becker fan, so that is absolutely on the agenda. Yeah, nobody better. Uh, free like a girl. The, very interesting Louisiana bred in here. Seems to run um, her race every single time. Five-year-old mare. She's 3-1 to one on the morning line. What do you make of her chances in the Houston Ladies Classic? Yeah, you know, it's just it's a question of whether she can handle the class test, right? She's done incredibly well against uh, largely softer competition throughout her career. And this is a great test for her. It's a regional horse that's performed incredibly well in her home state of Louisiana. How does she stack up with grade three types? I think it's going to be a, a bit of an ask, but I also think she's a horse with a lot of talent. And um, I, I think you'd have to consider her a major win candidate. What she probably has as her biggest edge is the ability to go to the lead. So I think the, the instructions are going to be to try and take the race to everybody else and uh, that would be fine, I'd say, with Hidden Connections, uh, connections, pun intended, along with Elamore and anybody else who wants to do their running a little bit later because that will establish a real pace. So I- I'm interested to see where Free Like a Girl stacks up with some nice open company horses because she's definitely deserving of this opportunity. She's faced open company on occasion in the past, really without any success so far. But I think she might just be a more polished version this time around, and that adds a lot of intrigue. Trainer Ken McPeak has a pair of talented four-year-old fillies entered into this year's Houston Ladies Classic. Um, your thoughts on those two? You know, speed figure-wise, they're not far off from where you need to be. So I, I'm intrigued by both. I think uh, each of have performed nicely lately at Oaklawn, and I could see Corningstone stepping up. I could see Dear Lady stepping up. Dear Lady, the filly that I thought was probably going to end up being better going shorter. And so I know I liked her when she ran at Saratoga last summer, and she proved very clearly that Distance is her friend. So, uh, yeah, I think each of them will get a nice setup as well. Corningstone could end up being a horse that if, uh, if, if there's really no pace on from the inside, I could see her getting involved, and uh, that might be something you know, that could potentially give her an edge. But I think each of them are horses that with, with a lot of upside. So for all of our listeners all over the country and really around the world, Nick, who are going to be playing the races at Sam Houston later this afternoon, give me your top three horses in the Houston Ladies Classic. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a little difficult to play our races, uh, but hopefully you, you yeah. are either in Texas or, or in Canada. But, yeah, top three, uh, I picked Bella More on top and uh, Hidden Connection second, Free Like the Girl third. So three, seven, yeah. six for me. Yeah, and the Houston Ladies Classic, by the way, 640 Eastern. It goes as race number 10 on that program today, which, again, features a plethora of other stakes races, including the grade three John B. Connolly Turf Cup, which is always fun, mile and a half on the grass. It will actually come after the Houston Ladies Classic. Um, another solid field here. Tell me more about this race. Yeah, really interesting group. Since we stretched this race out to a mile and a half about nine years ago, 
it has really delivered as a race with a big field on a yearly basis. Um, this is the fourth consecutive year we've had a 12-horse field, so we're really excited about this race. And Mike Maker has won this race seven times, and he's going to be well-represented again with four runners. Uh, I actually picked Red Run, who won't be the most fancied of the uh, Maker contingent, but is a horse that I think class-wise has been facing the best horses of anybody in here. He'll break from the far outside. We actually have a couple of recent winners from the uh, Bob Bork Texas Turf Mile, which is a race that we run locally, uh, named for the uh, venerable former uh, general manager and vice president of Sam Houston, who, of course, is the father of uh, Dan Bork, assistant racing secretary at Churchill Downs. So we have two winners from that race coming back. Red Run is one of them. Palazzi is the other. They look like horses with big chances in here. And I catch that party in New York bread for Mike Maker, who really effectively stretched out two starts ago and is, is taking the not-so-often-seen uh, cutback into a mile-and-a-half race uh, here, Mike, coming out of the two-mile H. Allen Jerkins. You know, you mentioned the fact that it's it's difficult for people to play the, the Sam Houston races because of the situation with Texas racing right now, but I know there are a lot of listeners tuning in in Texas, and you mentioned in Canada, um, that will be – taking a shot at some of the names that you're mentioning here. And, and we hope that they do so because it is a really stellar card at Sam Houston tonight, or this afternoon, I should say. I keep saying tonight. It, it's a, it, did this program used to be run at night? It did. It did for yeah. a period of time, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it, we moved it to the days um, on Sundays about, I want to say, five or six years ago. Yep. And uh, we're really, really excited this year. We have an NHC qualifier where we're going to give out at least four spots. And uh, it's got the biggest field for a live money contest that we've ever had at Sam Houston. And uh, we're also going to announce later today, so everybody out there has got a little bit of advance warning. But on April 6th, we're going to host the first ever Houston betting challenge, which is going to be a $2,000 entry fee live money tournament that uh, combines our races with some simulcast races on a big simulcast Saturday anyway that includes the Bluegrass Wood Memorial and Santa Anita Derby. We're going to award a Breeders' Cup betting challenge spot and a couple more NHC spots in April. So make plans to get down to, to H-Town in early April. Yeah, that is awesome. And a great time to be down there too, right? Absolutely, yeah. We, we sweat quite a bit, Mike, to get some nice days in April. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Uh, Nick, tell me about some of the other races. Are there other horses that you have your eye on earlier in the program? Yeah, I'm intrigued in the uh, Groovy, which is the first uh, the first stake race. Runs his race seven by the far outside runner. Tis considered a second-time starter who was impressive on debut. He looks like a Texas bred that uh, could have some ability. So interesting to see him stack up with stakes company. I'm excited to see that. And you know, we're going to see weather-wise. We've, we've not been dealt the best hand the last few days. It's supposed to be a really nice day today. Everything's cleared out, but it rained all night last night. So I don't know if we'll have any turf racing outside of the stakes. We'll, uh, we'll announce that in a little bit. But, yeah, I think just considered in the groovy is probably the one I'm most looking forward to seeing. Yeah, great afternoon in Houston, Texas. Sam Houston, race number one, comes up at 2 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock local time. That's a six furlong maiden special weight. They will conclude with race 11, the John B. Connolly Turf Cup, which is a grade three. 710 Eastern, 610 locally in uh, in Houston, Texas. Nick, really appreciate the visit here this morning. As always, thank you for all the support that you and the team give to us, and can't wait to hear you on the mic later today. Thank you, my friend. Pleasure's all mine. Talk to you soon. Great stuff. Nick Tamaro here on HRRN. When I come back, I'll turn my attention to trainer Brett Calhoun, who gets ready to saddle the morning line favorite hidden connection in this afternoon's Houston Ladies Classic.
This is the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free past performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The race is on at Sam Houston Race Park. Get in on exciting thoroughbred racing action every weekend. Join us Saturday, January 27th for the Houston Racing Festival with five stakes races, contests, a jockey trainer meet and greet, and more. Plus, Sam Houston is the place for live music and great drink specials every Friday, along with the best Sunday brunch around. Race in for all the excitement, starting with the Houston Racing Festival at Sam Houston Race Park. Visit SHRP.com for details. Experience the excitement of Ontario racing with over $17 million in purses and programs. The Ontario Thoroughbred Improvement Program is loaded with TIP stakes, sales credits, purse bonuses, mare and foal incentives, and awards for both stallions and breeders. Visit tip.ontarioracing.com to learn more. That's tip.ontarioracing.com. It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. But it's lights out for May Moon in a sparkling debut. It's a rainy day, but here's a ray of sunshine. May Moon romping home at first asking, wins by seven easy lengths. May Moon, the son of Darley Stallion, frosted with that maiden-breaking score on debut at Santa Anita last Saturday by seven and a half lengths. A $900,000 two-year-old at OBS last year, he was named a TDN Rising Star and earned a 94 buyer speed figure, along with the title of your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Frost's eight greatest stakes horses in 2023 are best among all stallions, standing for under $30,000. They include grade three winners Ice Dancing, Frost Point, and Jasper Crone. Frosted's fee for 2024 is $10,000 live full. Learn more about Frosted and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hidden Connection now with a sweep as they come past the quarter pole. It's Hidden Connection, with the inside Corningstone, Bodraw, Unbottled Mary Street to weigh in fourth. Rose Palace and then Scratch Captain. The Alice look is last. It's Hidden Connection into this final Fairgrounds Furlong. Hidden Connection has edged away to a two-length lead from Corningstone. Unbridled Mary is running on. Bodraw toward the inside. Rose Palace and Scratch Cat. The Alice look dropped away. It's Hidden Connection. Hidden Connection wins the Spanky Broussard Memorial by four. Corningstone was second. Unbridled Mary third. And Scratch Cat finished fourth. Welcome back to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. John Dooley with the call of the Spanky Broussard Memorial Huge win for Hidden Connection, who is now 9-5 to on the morning line, is your favorite in this afternoon's Houston Ladies Classic. And the poll question today, I'm asking you, who is your pick to win today's Pegasus World Cup at Gulfstream? And 42% of you saying it is national treasure. I know if I were to ask trainer Brett Calhoun for his pick to win the Houston Ladies Classic, he's going to side with Hidden Connection and defend his player, I'm sure. And if she can run back to that race last time out, she is going to be a handful. And Brad is with me now here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Brad, good morning. Good morning. 
I should say Brett good morning, not Brad Calhoun. Brett Calhoun. <laughs> well, maybe Brad will give me a few of his horses. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, man, this, this mare, boy, she is, uh, she's pretty consistent. Uh, you, you feel pretty good every time you lead her over, I'm sure. You know, obviously there's been some uh, bumpy spots in the road along the way, some highs and lows, and when we've done things, uh, done, picked bad spots for her, things hadn't gone well. Every time we've cut her back to one turn, uh, things haven't gone as well as we'd like, but uh, sometimes you get your force, your hand forced a little bit to try some different things and didn't work. But as long as we've had her around two turns, she's been very consistent. Uh, she caught some very, very good horses last year. We were trying to duck and dive a little bit and stay out of the way of some of the top echelon horses, but it just wasn't happening. Everywhere we went, we seemed to find one of those top horses. So you look into her PPs, and she, she caught some of the better uh, older fillies last year. What did you make of her last performance? Uh, it got just what we wanted, uh, hopefully a confidence builder. Um, I thought she she ran very, very well. Uh, she ran like we, we had hoped and we, we expected, and uh, we hope to use that as a confidence builder to uh, move forward. It, it had been a while since she had won. We kept getting her beat, and I, I just – Thought she needed to be in a spot where she could win, and she got the job done, did it pretty handily, and uh, hopefully it'll help us move forward today. There's an old adage in racing that talks about a horse's third start in their form cycle coming off of a layoff. This is the third start following a freshening for Hidden Connection. Um, is, that a, is that a real thing? Is that, can you put some stock into that, that, that it might be maybe her best performance coming up? I think you can. I mean, statistically, you look at the horses, and it always seems to work out that way a lot of times. Uh, not always, but I think it is uh, relevant, and uh, and we are expecting a, a bigger effort from her. And I, honestly, I I think maybe more so from coming off of a win and a confidence builder. I know some people don't believe in that. I'm a I'm a true believer. These horses know when they win, they lose. Uh, they're uh, attitude's completely different after a win a, a lot of times and uh, that's what I'm hoping that she's moved forward off of that that's interesting Brett and, and let's talk about that for a minute um, it, you know we see this in other sports right a, a golfer can get very hot in, in even within a round because they start feeling more confident in their stroke um, same thing with a, a baseball or a football player or, or any athlete really same thing with horses they they can gain confidence and that can propel them to big things I truly believe that yeah. and I always have. I mean, you just see their uh, their mannerisms and their attitude uh, after a win and, and after a loss. Um, it, it's, it really changed their mindset a lot, their attitude. Uh, so I, I think there is a lot to uh, confidence even with the equine athletes uh, as compared to human athletes. Well, she's, she's run 17 times. This will be 18. She has four wins, five seconds, and a third. And, and that's why I, I use the term consistency with her because, look, just just getting a horse to the starting gate is a huge accomplishment. To get a horse that performs as often in, as she does at a very high level, that's, that's pretty special, isn't it? It has been. Obviously, there's been a lot of highs and lows with her uh, from her two-year-old year when she she came out uh, looking really good, and we yeah. uh, things didn't go as well in the Oaks for her, and we had to give her some time after that. And like I said, we we ran into some tougher horses last year than maybe we had hoped. We had hoped to duck and dive a little bit better than we did, but we just couldn't get a, away from some of those top end horses. And 
she was uh, very consistent, very solid filly, but we just thought she was just a hair below that, that uh, upper echelon, and we just couldn't get away from them. So um, hopefully she's going to move forward off of that uh, last race, and, and uh, hopefully we can place her well this year and she can stay uh, as consistent as she was last year and maybe win a few more. Yeah, last year she ran a great race when she came to the Houston Ladies Classic. She was second, beaten just a length and three-quarter by Pauline's Pearl. And you mentioned not getting away from some of the bigger horses. Well, it's hard to get away from Hall of Fame trainer Steve Asmussen, too, and you have to square off with him again in this race this afternoon. Bella More is his entrant. Size up the competition for me, Brett. Yeah, you you can't ever hide from Steve. He's, he's got one everywhere. Yeah, a solid group. Uh, that Philly's had some multiple graded places place uh, places in her career. Um, so obviously she's got some back class. There's some horses that stretching out, you know, that have some pedigree to go on. Uh, uh, there's a little bit of everything in here. Um, and I, I do love our post position. Um, you know, I'm here this morning. The track's pretty wet. It's drying out pretty good. So I'm not really sure what kind of track we're going to have this afternoon. But, uh, yeah, I think we look good in there. Obviously, there's some uh, other interesting horses in there as well. Um, but uh, if she brings her her A race, I think we'll be in good shape. Let me walk through a couple of the other stakes races you're participating in. In the Groovy Stakes, Victory for Vets is your entrant there. Tell me more about Victory for Vets. Um, I really like him today. Um, the last race, I was just searching to find a place to give him an out off a layoff, uh, end up in a grass race at the fairgrounds. He stumbled badly at the start, um, kind of got shuffled well back and then made a good run down the lane. Um, and he's coming to this race in good shape. And uh, I look for a good effort there today. You had three horses entered in the Barra last stakes, which is race number eight. You have too much Kiki speak softly and successful path. Tell me about that trio. All coming in the race. Very good. Obviously T. Too much Kiki is the looks like the one in there. Um, she's ultra consistent. Um, she's affiliated. Uh, interesting. She's one that doesn't show you a lot in the morning. Um, she knows when when game day is, and uh, you put her in competition, put her in the heat of the battle, and she always seems to come out on top, whether it be a work in the morning or in a race. Um, she's just got a lot of class. Uh, we're looking forward to getting a little bit more distance. Uh, I don't think five or five and a half has suited her that good. She's just been good enough to get up. So I'm looking forward to the extra 16th of a mile today. Uh, successful pass. I think uh, with a tighter racetrack last time, I think uh, it was a little bit of a dull, tiring track that she was on. And I think if it had been a little faster track, she could have carried it a little bit farther. Uh, I think she's coming in this race very well. Uh, and uh, the other filly really stepped up last time. I, I thought she needed to go Long, um, and uh, being the, we had an opportunity to run her against Texas Breads, we dropped, dropped her back to three quarters, and uh, she was like in a 13 post, and I mean, just went gate to wire. It was just really a, a big step forward for her. So, I mean, I think she fits well in there and deserves a chance in there today as well. The Brett Calhoun Empire of Horses is also represented at Oaklawn later today in the fifth season stakes with Kupuna. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that race. Now we're going to have a sloppy track over there as well today. Uh, good thing about it, he's run very well there. He seems to like that track. Uh, and he's run on an off track over there and seemed to relish it. Um, I really like his, his uh, race at Churchill coming off the layoff last time. 
it was a really nice race. Uh, just got a little tired late, uh, and he's done well since. We've kept him at the fairgrounds training and uh, shipped over. And, uh, you know, I, I look for a big race out of that horse today. Well, Brett Calhoun has saddled 3,612 winners in what has been a remarkable career coming into today. He's 15 for 44 to kick off 2024, so he started the year uh, red hot, and he's looking to continue that later today in the Houston Ladies Classic and all of those other stakes we just talked about. Brett, good luck, my friend. Um, Go get it done, and we'll be talking again soon. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, buddy. Brett Calhoun here on H-R-R-N. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a trainer that has quietly had a, a really solid career. That's your guy. 3,600 wins. 15 for 44 to kick off this year. Pretty good stuff from Brett Calhoun. When I come back, I'll take a look at a historical date in racing history or two. I'll bring you the Kentucky Bread Spotlight and get you ready for hour number three. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Snarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. James Brown and Bill Cower welcoming you back to Dennis Melvin's house. It's time for the Midnight Snack Run. This is one tricky obstacle course. Sticking to healthy habits in this kitchen is going to take focus and determination, but it can be done, JB. He's already entered the snack part of the course, and he's eyeballing a jar of chocolatey candy. That is tempting right off the start. Uh Uh-oh, he's reaching, Bill, but he pushes it away. Great stiff arm. He's approaching a plate of delicious-looking iced cookies. Oh, Dennis, you only want one of those. He blows right by him for the apple. Oh, the fridge. It's make or break time, JB. He stares down some rich-looking treats. Uh-oh, looks like he's headed for the soda. Wait, he jukes left, grabs the water bottle, and shuts the door with his elbow in record time. Unbelievable move. I gotta see that again. And he's out. He even turned off the light. That's the way you execute a midnight snack run. Stand up to cancer and rally want you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Want to get the latest HRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? 
Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Well, remember, there is no better time to race and breed in Kentucky with over $200 million being distributed to Kentucky breeders since 2006. And with purse money soaring, the KBIF contributing nearly $16 million to eligible breeders, the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year round. There is clearly no better time to race and breed in the bluegrass. And with average purse per race in Kentucky, now 113,806, that's the average purse. The Bluegrass State outpaces all other leading racing jurisdictions, including Arkansas, New York, California, and Florida. An average field size in Kentucky is 8.8. That is higher than Florida, New York, and California. Don't forget the Kentucky Breds won nearly 70% of all grade one races in the U.S. in 2023. And with nine winners at the 2023 Breeders' Cup World Championships, Kentucky Breds now have 249 Breeders' Cup victories, more than any other state or country. Pretty remarkable stuff. Breed them, raise them, race them. We all win. For more information on racing and breeding in Kentucky, visit KentuckyBreds.com. Not a lot of time for historical dates in racing history before I segue into hour number three, but I will throw this one out there. Penny Chenery accepted the Eclipse Award for Horse of the Year on behalf of Secretariat on this day in 1973, January 27th, 1973. Of course, Secretariat was also voted champion two-year-old of 1972. Two hours down, one to go here on the Equine Forum. When I come back, James Scully shares his thoughts on three races to watch later today in this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history at 1020. And in the final segment of today's show, 1030 Eastern, I once again welcome trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin to discuss racing's hottest topics on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. If your local station is leaving us at this time, continue listening to the third hour of the program nationwide on Sirius 162 XM 207 in the Louisville, Kentucky market on ESPN 680 or at horseracingradio.net. Hour three of the Equine Forum is next after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network. is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Bricks and Mortar into the clear into the attack with Magic Wand fourth. Eighth of a mile to go. Bricks and Mortar puts his best foot forward and strides to a clear lead. It's Bricks and Mortar kicking away and the inaugural Pegasus Turf to Bricks and Mortar, a three-length winner. Midnight Bisous now bearing down on the outside. Heaven has my Nicky Moonlit Garden, but here comes Midnight Bisou with a late push and Midnight Welcome to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. And it's Bigger Picture leading the charge. Center of the track, Green Crass of Wyoming. Oscar nominated, one final surge, but they won't stop. Bigger Picture to win the John B. Conley. And they're into the stretch. 
stretch, and it's the Breeders' Cup winner. It's Arrogate in front, leading by three with an eighth of a mile to go. Shaman Ghost is trying to get into second. Then Neolithic, back fourth is Noble Bird, followed by Keen Ice. But what a race, what a sport, what a horse. Arrogate romps in the Pegasus. He won it by three and a half. Now, here's Mike Penna. Welcome back. Hour number three of the Equine Forum. 60 minutes left in what has been a really fun show. Talking about the big day at Gulfstream Park and the big night coming up at Sam Houston. If you missed any portion of the first two hours of the program, head back to our website, horseracingradio.net, to check out the podcast whenever you have some time. And you can also listen on every podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google or Spotify, Podbean, however you access your podcast, start following Horse Racing Radio Network and follow along with all the shows we bring your way each and every week. Okay, well, the Twin Spires Triple Play is going to kick off hour number three. It will be followed by Kurt Becker's Stroll Through Racing History at 1020, and at 1030, Dale and Tim will join me for I Ask, They Answer. But it is time now to welcome my good friend James Scully for the Twin Spires Triple Play. James, happy to have you on board. Looking forward to talking about some racing at Gulfstream. All three races you have selected are all stakes, and they are all from the Sunshine State. They are. It's a dynamite card at Gulfstream. Really kudos to them. Uh, You get a 13-race program. Uh, one race drew nine, two races drew ten, and the other ten drew at least 12 horses. So all all 13 races have some betting appeal just based on field size and, you know, some really competitive races. I think there is, a you know, potential in graded stakes. Um, you know, we'll, you see some favorites winning, uh, you know, their class rises to the top. But uh, I found a couple of stake spots where I got a couple of value plays on the card. And I want to just encourage everybody, go to twinspires.com under the promos. We've got a winner back promotion where on select races at Goldstream today, we're giving your money back if your horse finish, if the horse you bet to win finishes second or third. Uh, check out that promotion and opt in. You have selected race number nine. The grade two inside information is the first leg of this week's Twin Spires triple play. We will then go to the grade three Fred Hooper, which is race number 11, and we'll wrap it up with race 12, the Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational. But the inside information, seven furlongs on the main track. It features the defending champion in this race, Mary Quite Contrary, two to one morning line favorite there. Does she make it two in a row? Um, no, I'm going to play against her. I thought she was much sharper last year coming into this race. I didn't like the rampart that much. I thought it was sort of a workmanlike effort. None of those other rivals are back in this field. I'm even a little bit dubious of the uh, uh, some of these fillies from the uh, Sugar Swirl. Um, but I- I'll just say, yeah, I'm going to try to beat Mary, Mary quite contrary. There's some other horses in here. Jerry Mander, Olivia Darling, never one of the seven furlong distance. The Trippet Daydream was in that Sugar Swirl. I'm picking a price in here. I like number two, two-item saver, making her stakes debut for Nacho Correas. Uh, this is a super saver filly who is out of um, two-item two limit, who was a real hard-hitting, multiple-graded stakes-winning millionaire performer. She's uh, got already thrown graded stakes winner, uh, older mare. But two-item saver, uh, made her, after making her debut late in her uh, two-year-old season, she missed most of her three-year-old campaign, came back last summer at Colonial, broke her maiden convincingly, 
And I loved her effort three starts back at Keeneland and an entry-level allowance that day, uh, just at the same about seven furlong distance at uh, this inside information trip, where she just blew the doors off that field. Um, now, given that you know her sire, Super Saber, won the dot, a Derby, and her damn two-item limit was a two-turn stakes winner, uh, Kreis tried her at two turns once at Churchill Downs in her next outing. That wasn't for her. Uh, she got beat by Philly in there, the least look who placed in the Oaks. That was a good field. But uh, came right back last time at Turfway Park and won a nice allowance, rallied to win over the synthetic. I think she's a lot better on the main track. And one thing about two-item saver is uh, went back through her works throughout her career. She's never been a real good workhorse. But you can just see, like, since her form has improved this uh, fall, uh, she started lighting up the work tab, uh, worked some real strong works uh, in uh, the last couple months, uh, got a good half-mile drill over the Gulfstream Park track. I think this race is ripe for a uh, horse uh, coming into it in, in, in strong form, and I like two-item saver to step up and run a big race in her sixth debut. Great foundation, too. Those five starts, three wins from those five tries, and gets Junior Alvarado in the saddle. We know what he did last year. He's looking to continue that momentum into 2024. So it is number two, two-item saver in race number nine. The inside information for James Scully is his first pick in this week's Twin Spires triple play. Race number 11 is the grade three Fred Hooper, one mile on the main track. Hedjazi comes in for trainer Bob Baffert. Flavian Pratt is in the irons. They'll break from the rail. They are 8-5 to five as your favorite on the morning line. Can we beat Hedjazi? You know, he has not always gotten out of the gate that well. And, uh, you know, I, I think that inside rail is, is the worst possible draw, especially with his just speed right to his outside in this expressman. And, um, you know, going to have uh, some other speed in there. I looked at the outside. I took a long look at a couple horses uh, on the outside. But I ultimately landed on number 11, Tumba Rumba. And the thing I like about Tumba Rumba, Mike, is that I I, uh, I think his last three races are just outstanding. This is a, a gelding who last year, early in the year, uh, was running in dirt sprints. They tried him a couple turf routes. He didn't take the turf. They cut him back to sprints, and and he ran okay. You know, won an allowance in uh, uh, at Keeneland and Churchill Downs in sprints. But his form really began to blossom when they stretched him out to a mile distance in mid-August at Ellis Park. He wins the Ellis Park Derby. I thought that was a really solid race. Went back and watched that race again. His next race at an Oklahoma Derby. He was stuck down and had a claustrophobic trip on the inside and uh, uh, kept um, uh, kept trying hard to just get beat ahead. That was a really nice uh, graded stakes for debut. This last race at Fairgrounds is going to throw off betters. It's going to throw off people. He's a Louisiana bred. Tumba Rumba is. He's actually a Louisiana bred stake where he ran second. But let me just say, that was the fastest dirt race, that uh, Louisiana cl- uh, Classic uh, Stakes that, on December 9th, that's the fastest dirt race of the meet um, mm. it, at fairgrounds so far on a speed rating scale. That touch upon a star has now won like eight of his last nine starts. He led wire to wire, but Tumba Rumba was getting to him late. He had everything his own way. His only loss uh, touch upon a, once a touch upon a star was a runner-up in the grade three race. So he's really, really good, and that was a good um, – 
I, I like him cutting back to the the mile distance off of those two strong efforts going a mile and an eighth. I think he's gotten the necessary necessary seasoning and experience making his last three starts at the stakes level. And I think he's going to so well drawn on the outside and going to run a big race with Luis Saez, number 11, Tumba Rumba. Yeah, the son of Millridge Stallion Oscar performance, Tumba Rumba, 8-1 to one on the morning line. James Scully not messing around with the value for you here this morning. Starts with 12-1, to one, goes to 8-1 to one in the second leg of the Twin Spires triple play. How about the third leg, the Pegasus World Cup Turf Invitational, mile and an eighth on that turf course at Gulfstream. How would you see this one? More value? No, no, this is the one race where I, I'm definitely going to focus on a horse. I mean, listen, I, I looked at this whole card. My most likely winner on the whole card, in my estimation, is number three, Integration. And it's just because I love this horse's turn of foot. I think his main rival is the Philly coming over. But there's some things to, like, make you wonder. Like, you know, they've already announced they're going to retire she comes off a real like tough race in in Hong Kong in um in, in you know last in on December 10th and um she's more of a mile and a half horse and this race is a mile and an eighth i think integration the thing i really liked about i loved integration's first two uh, races i mean he beat a really nice horse in that virginia derby despite having just run in a maiden race in program trading program trading just won the hollywood derby i think he'd set for a huge four-year-old season for chad brown and then integration came back in that hill prince that was the nine horse field mike and he was stalking the pace in third and then, you know, he just blew by him to win real impressively. But I loved the fact that he showed the ability to make his own trip. He's not like a one-run closer because other than number 11 main event, this Pegasus World Cup uh, turf doesn't have a lot of defined speed. So if integration needs to, he can sit like a mid-pack before making his move. And I loved how he ran off the freshening last time. I think he's going to take a, a step forward off of that and continue to be a, a real top-class performer on the grass this season as a four-year-old. So I'm I'm going to single integration in all my multi-race bets. I'll bet him in late doubles into the uh, uh, Pacific, uh, the uh, Pegasus World Cup because I like National Treasure and the favorite in that race. So, uh, but I, but I'm definitely looking at it whereby integration will be a key for me in all vertical exotics and multi-race bets on the Pegasus World Cup card. Fantastic stuff from James Scully. Don't forget, you have the opportunity to talk racing with James and with Bobby Newman every Thursday here on the network. That comes your way, six to seven Eastern, with the Brisnet.com call-in show and those three races james just talked about i will recap them momentarily make sure you bet all three races and do it at twin spires later today race nine at gulfstream he'll start with number two two item saver at 12 to 1 race 11 number 11 tumbarumba at 8 to 1 and race number 12 he'll go with number three integration at odds of 3 to 1 james sounds like uh, three pretty good picks to me we'll see how it plays out on the track later today yeah, it will be uh, it, it will be fun to see because, like I said, uh, you know these uh, these races really came up competitive. A lot of them did, and there's going to be an opportunity for value. Even if the, you get some short priced horses uh, favorites winning, be an opportunity for value in vertical exotics. So I'm excited to play today at Twin Spires. Make sure you check out our offers and promotions there. And best of luck to you, Mike, and everybody wagering today. Fantastic! Enjoy the races. Good luck, brother. Alrighty, thanks.
All right, James Scully with the Twin Spires Triple Play. Coming up next, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And at 1030, Dale Roman's Tim Wilkin will both be here for this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of grade one winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century as his third dam is broodmare of the year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect four for four season with an emphatic victory in the historic grade one Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the grade one. Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs. Happy Saver. Think about it. There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. Sims was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. He was the son of a Triple Crown winner, and he won two legs of the Triple Crown himself, giving a legendary farm its long-awaited Kentucky Derby victory. His name was Swale. Fold on April 21, 1981 at Claiborne Farm in Paris, Kentucky, Swale was from the second crop by Triple Crown winner Seattle Slough. His mother was Claiborne homebred Tuerta, and in fact, Claiborne had bred his first three dams. Arthur B. Hancock, the founder of Claiborne Farm, was born in 1875, the same year as the inaugural running of the Kentucky Derby. Claiborne was founded in 1910. Mr. Hancock had the pleasure of breeding Kentucky Derby winners, but they were colts he had sold as yearlings and which had raced in the Derby for other owners. His son, Arthur B. Hancock Jr., better known as Bull to his friends, bred and raced dozens of champions in his lifetime, but he neither bred nor owned a winner of the Kentucky Derby. The story goes that when Tuerta was foaled in 1970, Bull Hancock was disappointed that she was a filly and not a stud colt. He was further disappointed when told she had just one eye. Yet she would be the final stakes winner which he would see race for Claiborne as he died of cancer in 1972, just two months after Tuerta won the Blue Hen Stakes at Delaware Park. 
It was for that reason that Bull's son, Seth Hancock, chose to keep Tuerta in the Claiborne Broodmare Band after his father's passing. She had become a sentimental favorite of the Hancock family. As for Swale, the staff at Claiborne remembered him as a suckling that liked to flop down and go to sleep. He would find a dip in the ground, nestle himself into it, and could often be found snoring away with contentment. That snoring baby colt would grow up to be a Kentucky Derby winner. The date was May 5th, 1984. The trainer was Woody Stevens. The jockey was Lafitte Penkai Jr. Racing for a partnership which included Claiborne Farm, William Hagen Perry, Peter Brandt, Edward Cox, and Seth Hancock and his sister Dell, Swale rolled into the stretch at Churchill Downs, and Mike Battaglia had the call. They're into the stretch. It's Swale in front by two. In the center of the stretch, fight over. On the outside, it's On the extreme outside, Gate Dancer with Valley Time. They're nearing the finish. It's all swale. He's there by four lengths. On the outside, Coach Nietzsche second. At the wire, it's swale winning the derby. Gets it by three lengths. Carrying the golden orange silks of Claiborne Farm, Swale had given Claiborne its first Kentucky Derby winner. Seth Hancock paid tribute to his late father, saying, This derby is his derby. After finishing off the board in the Preakness, Swale returned and gave a sterling account of himself in the Belmont Stakes. Marshall Cassidy calls him home. It is not a fast pace. Can't be in this heat. Swale, the favorite, continues to lead the way by about a half length. Minstrel star on the outside, second by about a length. Play on with Samin is in third by a half. On the outside is Gate Dancer with Cordero, a very close fourth. Then three, two, Morning Bob, then Exotic, then Romantic Tradition on the outside, Silent King, then Pine Circle, Back Bay Barrister, and Coax Me Chad remains 11th. The mile and 37 and three, they're on the far turn. Swale has the lead still by a length and a half. Play on now making a move has come into second. On the outside is Gate Dancer also advancing. Gate Dancer alongside Play on, but they're still a half off of Swale and they're at the top of the stretch. Swale with Pinkai continues to lead the way by a length and a half, now advancing to two and a half. Play on, Gate Dancer on the outside, and Morning Bob on the rail is a close fourth. They're at the eighth pole. Swale still leads. That lead is going out now to about four lengths. Morning Bob on the rail, joined on the outside now by Pine Circle, moving up quickly. Pine Circle takes second as Swale leads to the wire. That victory would secure honors for Swale as Eclipse champion three-year-old Colt of 1984 but regrettably he would never race again, having died just eight days after his Belmont win following a morning gallop at Belmont Park. A post-mortem revealed scar tissue in the heart, indicative of an irregular heartbeat which proved fatal. Racing historian Ed Bowen once wrote that seeing Swale win the Kentucky Derby for Claiborne brought several images to mind. The vaguely remembered grace of the Old South, the heady whiff of multi-million dollar deals, and the salt and blood of competition. We remember Swale, who rose to glory in the Spring Classic some 40 years ago, and who gave Claiborne Farm a sentimental win for the ages. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker.
And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Dell Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The race is on at Sam Houston Race Park. Get in on exciting thoroughbred racing action every weekend. Join us Saturday, January 27th for the Houston Racing Festival with five stakes races, contests, a jockey trainer meet and greet, and more. Plus, Sam Houston is the place for live music and great drink specials every Friday, along with the best Sunday brunch around. Race in for all the excitement, starting with the Houston Racing Festival at Sam Houston Race Park. Visit SHRP.com for details. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races, dine trackside in 10 ponds with an elevated view of the track, or grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Catholic Boy. A grade one winner on both dirt and turf, including this romp in the run-happy Traverse Stakes. He's so impressive today, the others didn't even have a prayer! This six-time graded stakes winner was the fastest three-year-old of his crop over 10 furlongs. Now his first runners are hitting the track. Dual surface grade one winner, Catholic Boy, standing at Claiborne Farm. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. Sensational fractions here for Azari, who comes to the top of the stretch with the lead a length and a half. Bailey is now asking a lot more from Imperial Gesture, but she is still second as the field turns for home. Take charge, Bailey is toiling on the inside. Vardamiga still six lengths behind. Mandy's gold star, one for long ago. Azari still there. Well, happy anniversary to the brilliant Azari. Tom Durkin had the call of the 2002 Breeders' Cup Distaff. It was 21 years ago today that Azari was voted Horse of the Year, one of only six females to ever receive that honor. Today, we pay tribute to those remarkable Distaffers. Plus, what does Bob Baffert's dropping of the Medina Spirit appeal mean for the Hall of Fame trainer going forward? And 
Dale and Tim will look back on Thursday night's Eclipse Awards and share their thoughts on some of the biggest surprises. Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin and all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. All right, guys, we're going to start with what we witnessed at the Eclipse Awards on Thursday in South Florida. What are your biggest takeaways from Thursday night's Eclipse Awards, and and what were some of the biggest surprises? And I'm just going to start this way. Tim, I think you'll agree with me. My biggest takeaway that if there was a a better, more well-dressed couple than Dale Romans and Tammy Fox, I don't know who it was. They looked fantastic at the Eclipse Awards. Well, Dale's head doesn't need to get no bigger. But yeah, they did look they did look very GQ-ish. I mean, Dale looked like uh he he could have been an extra in a Bond movie and um maybe Bond himself. And of course, Tammy looks like she could be a uh a Bond girl. But uh, yeah, they uh they were styling pretty good there. Uh, hey, that was a good that was a good night. I'll tell you the best thing about that, that suit I had on is it's the first time I'd have been able to wear it in 20 years. Wow. I spent all that money for a tuxedo. I think I wore it twice, and finally I fit <laughs> back in it. Well, you should wear it all the time now. Don't 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 be surprised if I show up in the paddock with it on as much as it costs back then. I, I'd have wear it. We had a good well, time. No, it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, by the way, that looks picture. Like a, looks like a prom picture. Yeah, the picture oh, we're yeah. talking about, I – it's retweeted on our HRRN Twitter account. So all you have to do is go there, scroll through some of the tweets. You'll find it. Dale Romans, Tammy Fox looking extremely dapper and Tammy looking beautiful at the Eclipse Awards on Thursday. Great picture, guys. Um, Dale, what were some of your takeaways on, on Thursday night's Eclipse Awards? First of all, I thought it was the, it was, it was the first one I've been to since I won. I think in 2013 I went. But it was, uh, it was that's a gorgeous place, the Breakers. And it was... Uh, I thought it moved well. I thought everybody, you know, coke except for a couple of instances you're always going to have. I thought everybody did a great job, showed a lot of class. And I was extremely happy for Bill Mott and, and the whole Mott family. Um, they had a very tough year. So he's probably had one of the best professional years of his life and one of the worst personals. And uh, they were all there enjoying themselves and having fun. It was, it was good to see. Was, they had a, a great night. And uh, a couple of things that stood out to me were uh, – a couple of snubs. I thought we thought we talked about last week. Javier not even being nominated. A guy that wins the Belmont, uh, the Derby, the Belmont, and the Travers all in the same year. I think he should have been at least on the board for jockey. And I said, when's the last time you've seen a Whitney Breeders' Cup Classic course not even get a sniff in anything? I thought those were some interesting. And then one one of my favorite awards of the night was Tom Hammond receiving a special Eclipse Award. What a great man Tom is and how good he is for the game. And there's not a bigger horse supporter in the in the world than Tom Hammond. Yeah, amen to that. Timmy, how about for you? You know, I thought that um, 
it was pretty classy for Godolphin to let Kelly Dorman give the give the horse of the year speech for Cody's wish. You know, everyone knows the story about him and his family and young Cody Dorman who passed away the day after the horse won the uh, dirt mile. And it was also kind of cool that uh, that Kylie Dorman, uh, Cody's sister, they brought her up to announce the horse of the year, which took any of the uh, drama out of it. But uh, I just thought that was a kind of a neat moment. And as far as uh, the uh, actual awards go, I mean, it was landslide city. I mean, there was every, just about every category. No, all the categories were, were they weren't close. The, only, the closest race by votes was the jumpers. And that was when Mary Maker won by 19 votes over snap decision. And that probably would have been closer if uh, the 26 people that abstained had voted. But uh, that's we've, we've talked about that before. But um, nine of the categories, the, the winning margin was 150 or more votes. Um, I was a little surprised that uh, Cody's Wish won by as much as he did over White Abario for Horse of the Year, 134 to 97. Um, <laughs> and... You know, to just to piggyback a little about what Dale said about Javier, you know, Javier was not Castellano. Javier Castellano was not one of the top three in the jockeys, yet he finished second behind uh, Irad Ortiz, who ran away with it. He had 187 votes, and Javier had 17. I mean, that was just that was still one of the biggest snubs, and we've talked about that before. Uh, but overall, I thought the night went well. Um, I, I do shake my head when they make the announcement that the the winners are given one minute to speak. I mean, for a lot of these guys, it'd be might for, for a lot of these winners, it might be the only time they ever get a chance to go up there and talk. And you know, you gotta cram everything into sixty seconds. And most of them went over, notably Mike Rapoli, who went way over. And you know, I like Mike, I I do, but. Um, we could have done without the F-bombs that he dropped on, on his speech. I mean, in front of his whole family and all that. Yeah, he's an excitable guy, but, you know, we don't need the F-bombs in, in that situation. Like, come on, you're better than that. But uh, congratulations to him for winning two Eclipse. And, you know, the one that is still a head-scratcher to me is the, the turf ones, the turf awards, because... We, we talked about the Europeans that uh, were, were up for this, had just one start in the U.S., and they were both Breeders' Cup wins. Um, August Rodon beat up to the mark in, the, in the, the turf, and he finished second to up to the mark for the Eclipse. But then in the female turf, in Spiral, who won the Philly and Mare turf, wins the thing, and that was her only start this year. Over in, 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 and an Italian was finished second in this one, so I, I was just um, puzzled by that. Um, if you, if the, the rules say you have, you can you can have one start in the U.S. and you're eligible. So if you win that race, the big race, yep, you're going to get a lot of votes. But I was just puzzled by one getting it and one not. Yeah, it was a good night, and I think once again, and I said this earlier in the program, guys, that we were reminded that despite the negative narrative, which at times became the dominating story of our sport in 2023, there was far more good than bad with the game last year, and all of that was on display at the Eclipse Awards on Thursday, and, and I was really happy for Godolphin 
Um, you mentioned uh, the classiness of Godolphin at the at the ceremony on Thursday night, Tim. But the the class that they displayed after that somber Grade One victory by Pretty Mischievous at Saratoga after the unfortunate incident with Maple Leaf Mel and yep. Brendan Walsh as well, the trainer of Pretty Mischievous. Good things happen to good people, and I was very happy for Godolphin. I was happy for Brendan Walsh, and I was really happy for Jenna Antonucci and Archangelo um, for everything they accomplished. It was great to see him voted champion three-year-old male. And Jenna, just like Brendan Walsh and Godolphin, uh, as classy as they get and represents the sport beautifully. So um, good things happen to good people, and it was great to see Thursday night. You know what I would have also, just to say, you know, when they had the speeches for that – I would have liked to have heard, heard what Brendan and Jenna had to say, but you know because of the they, they put the clamps on the timer, they have the timer running, they didn't get the chance. I would have loved to have heard what Brendan and Jenna had to say. Well, now we're off to 2024 and off and running with the Pegasus World Cup later today, the first big Super Saturday of the season. It, it's going to be a, a really good year in 2024. I just know it. There'll be more great storylines to come, and uh, can't wait to get to it. Guys, the second topic here this morning comes via email from Ed in Kentucky. And, by the way, if you have a topic for Dale and Tim, email the show, Mike, at horseracingradio.net. They love to hear from our listeners, and we'll get it worked into the show for you. Um, But Ed points out that it's rare to see a horse excel on dirt, turf, and synthetic. Dale, uh, I'm going to have this question for you. Ed would like to know how trainers determine the optimum surface and distance for a horse, and how do you go about finding that that sweet spot? Go ahead. Thank you for your question. But uh, it's uh, I'd say it takes time when you you're, you're training horses and to understand your horse, and they'll let you know what they want to do. But it still amazes me to this day how pedigree plays such a big role in it. And in the pedigree, will tell you whether a horse should run long or short. Pedigree will tell you whether or not they like turf or dirt. Synthetic's still a little new, so I don't know much about that part of it yet. The pedigree, I've just been able to run horse on it. If they like it, they like it. If they don't, they run terrible. They don't like it at all. But it, it still amazes me how much pedigree plays into especially turf horses. And I've got a theory of my own. I don't have anything to back it up, but it, almost every horse can run on the grass. But a lot of those great grass horses just can't handle the dirt. I know there's all kinds of theories, the size of the foot, the push of their back leg how much they get a hold of it. But at the end of the day, you start out with a pedigree that you kind of have in your mind. This is a sprint pedigree. This is a grass pedigree. This is a route pedigree. And you just go from there. And, uh, you know, the most dangerous horse, in my opinion, is one with with stamina and with um, speed. And a, horse, a, a really good horse will run short, long. It doesn't make any difference. Like I said last night, uh, which I thought was interesting, I didn't realize that Secretariat was also turf champion the year that he was horse of the year and uh so there there was a horse that could do it all and maybe that's why we're still talking about him 50 years later dale how did you know horses like little mike for example and and kittens joy that those horses were going to excel on the grass and at longer distances well little mike i got later in life he was uh he'd already run through his three-year-old year and so he was pretty much we knew he was a grass horse but there was always a question on how far he would go. But I never saw the horse get tired. He had speed, and he would go to the front, and he was a miler when I got him. When I went, to, If you remember, when I went to run him at the, in the Arlington Million, a mile and a quarter, Joe, Joe Bravo didn't want to go riding him. He said he couldn't go that far. He went right to the lead and, and kept going. 
And then he just stretched it to a mile and a half. He was just a freak of nature. He was one of those that had speed and had stamina. Kidden's Joy was a little different. When I got Kidden's Joy in, we were working him at Churchill and working him at Saratoga. I couldn't get him to go faster than 103 on five-eighths of a mile. So just out of, you know, because he had grass pedigree, and back then you could work any horse on the turf at the training track at Saratoga that you wanted. He was a two-year-old, and I took him over, and I worked him. And I looked down at my watch, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It's a 58 flat. I looked back at the clockers. I said, what did you guys get? And they said, got, I thought I hit it wrong. They said, got the same thing you did. <laughs> and so at that point, we pretty much knew he was a turf horse, and he was strictly a turf horse, and, uh, but a great one. And uh, that, that was the, that's the one horse that <coughs> I will say sur- surfaced made the biggest difference in my, that I ever had a horse. He just wasn't a a- very average at best sort, horse on the dirt, but was a spectacular horse when he got on the grass. And Timmy, Ed also had a portion of his question for you. He, he was asking if you can recall horses that found their sweet spot later in their career, such as a horse like Cigar, who after that mediocre career on the grass was switched to the dirt and became a monster. Are, are there horses that come to mind when you think back on those types of scenarios? Well, you know, looking at, at that question, you know, Dale already touched on the secretariat. I mean, when he was the last two starts of his career were on grass. I mean, he um, six uh, uh, no, I think it was nine days maybe after he uh, got beaten the Woodward at uh, at Belmont. He ran in the Man of War and set a track uh, track record when he won by five lengths. And he went up to Canada and ended his career up there. So he was obviously a well, well we know Secretary was a freak of nature when likes we might never see again. But another horse that. He had equal success on both surfaces that I remember was Catholic boy a few years back, won the Travers after he, uh, he won the Belmont Derby invitational. He also had started his career on grass. Um, and, and he, he broke his maiden, I believe on the grass. And then he won the with anticipation. Then he went in the breeders cup turf, but then he, then his connections, Jonathan Thomas, they put him in the Remsen. At the end of his two-year-old year, and then the next year he was he was on the Triple Crown Trail for a bit when he was ran in the um, uh, Sam F. Davis in the Florida Derby. Then he went back to the grass. And then he went back to the to the dirt and won the Travers. So he was a horse that could handle both both surfaces. Um, but as far as uh, I, I couldn't come up with someone like a cigar, he, he was he was a once in a lifetime too. Yeah, and Tim wasn't wasn't cigar just by chance. wasn't he in a turf race because he had all turf pedigree. He's one of them that, that did the opposite of what his pedigree said. But he was in a turf race, and they took it off the grass, and Bill decided to go ahead and run him, and he ran on the dirt so well that the rest was history. Yeah, that was up at Saratoga, I believe, one summer. Yeah, I don't think that Bill had ever planned on actually running him on the dirt, but when it came off and a lot of horses scratched, he gave him a shot, and of course we know what happened after that. Who knows what would have happened if it stayed nice if it stayed on the grass? Who knows? Right, would have ever gotten a chance on the dirt because we get we get a little pedigree blind sometimes and think the pedigree's the end all. Well, every once in a while there's one that'll surprise you. Yeah, he certainly he certainly showed us on the dirt, didn't he? Yes, he did. Ed, that was a yeah, fantastic when- topic. And, again, if you have a topic for Dale and Tim, simply email it, mike at horseracingradio.net. Email it to me, and I'll get that worked into the program for you. And Dale and Tim love to hear from our listeners. So if 
any topic you want them to debate or talk about, shoot it over to us, and, and we'll make sure we get it worked in for you. Guys, moving on to the next one, uh, and this is a big one. Tomorrow actually marks, believe it or not, the 45-year anniversary of Bob Baffert saddling his first career winner. That victory came at Relito Park in Tucson, Arizona, with a horse named Flipper Star. Well, the Hall of Fame trainer was back in the news this week announcing that he and owner Amir Zidane are dropping their appeal of Medina Spirit's 2021 Kentucky Derby disqualification. Monday is the deadline for all Derby hopefuls trained by Baffert to be moved to other trainers as his band from competing at Churchill Downs continues through the end of 2024. What does the dropped appeal mean, if anything, for Baffert going forward? Dale, you want it first? Yeah, I'll take this one first. First of all, I can't believe that Baffert and his attorneys didn't cut a deal with Churchill right off the, before he dropped it, when he had some leverage. And But he went ahead and dropped it, and then an hour later, Churchill said, well, we don't care, it doesn't matter. It's time for Churchill to give up the grudge, and let's move forward. We talked about unity last night at the Clips Awards, everybody who got up there, everybody working together. The game is better with Bob in it. The Derby is better with Bob in it. Churchill needs to give up their grudge, let Bob back in. Enough is enough. Tim, do you think we're ever going to see Bob Baffert's name in the Kentucky Derby program again? You know, for the sake of the game, I hope so. Um, But I don't know. Um, Churchill, I mean, Bob gave him the olive branch with this. You know, let's let's move on from this. But Churchill, they they just can't let this go. He's already served his time when he had the suspension, the two years. That was up. Then they said, okay, let's give him him more time. For what? Because there's a a personal vendetta against Bob Baffert here. There's no doubt in my mind with that. And I think they just don't want to have him be part of their 150-year anniversary celebration. I mean, Bob Baffert is the Kentucky Derby. I mean, he's won the Triple Crown twice. I mean, for this thing to keep dragging out is just something that uh, is wrong. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't like Bob because of this, because the narrative puts this in in the even worse light for him. But Bob Baffert knows how to train a racehorse. He knows how to get a three-year-old ready for the Kentucky Derby. And, it, and it's sad that uh, it, we, the, the, our, our biggest race isn't going to have the, the guy that does it the, better than anybody else. And I think it's just um, it's a crime on Churchill's part that they're letting this keep going. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, well, hopefully this gets um... – this, this gets resolved at some point in the future. It would be great to see Bob back at Churchill Downs, not just for the Kentucky Derby, but all of the big races that Churchill hosts throughout the year. Um, and his ban currently goes through 2024, and we'll see if it's lifted at the end of this year. But it will not be lifted for this year's Kentucky Derby. All right, it is that time of the show where we say hello to our friend Nick Zito, and you guys get to tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? All right, well, it involves today's $3 million Pegasus World Cup, which showcases a pretty well-matched field of 12 older horses. But, guys, the, the presumptive leader in this division, White Abario, has chosen to bypass the race in favor of the Saudi Cup on February 25th. Tim Wilkin, is that decision right or wrong? Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? Of course it's right. 
I mean, I don't blame them for going to Saudi. I'll give you 20 million reasons why you can go to Saudi. Why not run in both? Huh? Why not run in both? He'll win them both. (laughs) Well, I was going to, you know, it's four weeks after the Pegasus. Yes, you could run in both. But the uh, climate of today's uh, uh, horse racing world, more time between races is better. Um, we don't have the iron horses of years years past. And I know four weeks is more than enough time you would think for a horse to recover. But then again, you know, making that, uh, you run the Pegasus and you got to run over to Saudi. How much does the, the trip over take out of someone after, if he has to have an optimum effort in the Pegasus? To me, um, you know, personally, uh, I, of course I'd rather see see him run in the uh, Pegasus because it's on our soil. Um, you know, but it's a business and it's a $20 million purse over there and if they just want to run in one, they're going to run in that one because the winner gets $10 million. Um, I mean, this is only the fifth fifth running of the of the, of the uh, Saudi Cup, so uh, yeah. I agree with them. They're thinking because they want to win the biggest pot that they can and they want to have their horse in in peak condition and he hasn't raced since the breeders cup he should, but to do it to do it to have to race then in the pegasus and then the saudi cup maybe they think it's too much on the horse got to respect their decision well who am i to question trainer rick dutro the next horse i saddle is going to be my first but dale romans you've saddled plenty wouldn't you want a prep race going into a big race like saudi arabia well, I've, t- I've talked to Rick about this, and I, I would never question Rick. If anybody knows their horses, he does. And he just felt like four weeks wasn't enough. The, the timing wasn't good from the Breeders' Cup to have a, a tough race here. Rick will have him ready in Saudi and probably go to Dubai from there. Two big, big, big money races. It is a financial thing. And, uh, yeah, don't question Rick because he knows his horses. And believe me, he doesn't have problems. He's one of the few to run them back quick. But, uh for this particular horse, he felt like the time was good uh, to give him more time, and he thought if he gutted him here running and wheeled him right back, it would be too 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 short between with four weeks on this horse. So I want to say the decision is right. Time will tell. It's funny. I remember going up to the Breeders' Cup as we were leading up to the Breeders' Cup on this show. We actually talked about whether or not it was the right move to bring White Abario in to the Breeders' Cup Classic off of that long layoff, and it proved to be the absolute right decision. So, yeah, I, I guess you guys are starting to sway me in that that corner. I thought I thought White Abario, I thought they should get a prep race into him before going to Saudi Arabia, but uh, I, I think, you know, this longer layoff stuff seems to work for him, and Rick Dutro knows what he's doing. So we're going to bring that segment back again as part of the show next week with Nick Zito, but we have one more topic to get to before Dale and Tim make their final point of the week, and this one, guys, is going to be fun. It was 21 years ago today that Azari became the first female since Lady Secret in 1986 to receive the Eclipse Award for Horse of the Year. In total, six females have been voted Horse of the Year. All along, Lady Secret, Azari, Rachel Alexandra, Zenyatta, and Harvard de Grace, most recently in 2011. On this anniversary, I thought it would be kind of fun to spend a few minutes remembering Azari and those other brilliant distaffers who achieved our sport's highest honor. So, Tim, I'll come to you first. What things come to mind when you hear those names I just mentioned? They're all Cadillacs. You know, they, these, these horses, these ladies were just phenomenal racehorses, each and every one of them. They're all in the Hall of Fame except Harvard de Grasse. And um, 
you know, the, 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 the two I'm going to focus on are Rachel and Zenyatta because I remember back in, in the heyday of those two in 2009, it, it was the country was the, the horse racing country was divided east versus west. Who was the better, who was the better, uh, this staffer. And, you know, Rach Zenyatta won the breeders cup classic in 2009 and did not win the horse of the year because Rachel Alexandra beat boys three times and she, and she dominated the, the voting that year for horse of the year. I mean, she, she smoked Zenyatta. Zenyatta was, you know, that those two horses were, um, I mean, you make, can make the argument they're two of the best distappers we've ever had. Um, Zenyatta with her strutting around and winning 19 of 20 career starts. And the only time she ever got beat was in the Breeders' Cup in 2010. And she did win horse of the year. The, those two were, the, the shame of it all was that they never got to run against each other. Um, it was going to happen, I think, in the Apple Blossom, I think, maybe the following year, but it never it never came to pass. That was a race that I think the, 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 the horse racing world would have loved to have seen, and we're all going to have to, uh, you know, wonder what would have happened if they would have met. Um, I, I don't know. but uh, who, who would you have bet on that day, Timmy? I was a Rachel. I was in the Rachel camp um, because, you know, I was the East Coast bias. I thought Rachel was a better horse. But after seeing Zenyatta in defeat, I don't know if, you know, she was just a phenomenal, phenomenal racehorse. And the fact that uh, she tried so darn hard in every race, she never gave up. I mean, she looked hopelessly beat in in that race, but but she came on and just got beat by blame. But if they would have run against each other, I think it would be hard to, 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 to come up with the winner, but I think I would give a slight edge to Rachel. I don't know if, if Zenyatta would, would have caught Rachel. It would, have been, it would have been an interesting race but for sure, and it, you would have had to have seen how the race unfolded because they had totally opposite running styles. With uh, Zenyatta wanting to go to the front and Rachel coming from off the pace. Anytime a filly is going to be horse of the year, they just have to dominate and they have to beat the boys, and they're just it's a, it's a special year. And uh, I was, I, I loved them both, but I'll tell you, Rachel was the most impressive to me. Um, I mean, Zenyatta, sorry, I said Rachel. Zenyatta, because Zenyatta had to pass so many horses every race. You would think she'd be in trouble. She'd get stopped. Something would happen. But every time, she found a way to get up at one time. And, uh, and she ran a spectacular race that day. That was one of the the great Breeders' Cups classics of all time. But all those Phillies are special. All of them, Harvard Grayson needs to be in the Hall of Fame. They all should be in. If you're going to be, if you're going to dominate the sport and be horse of the year and be a Philly, it's only been six of them and two two-year-olds. All those horses should be in the Hall of Fame. Yep. The thing Happy about Zenyatta is that John Sheriff's really made a conscious effort to share that horse with the public. I remember the day after the um, she lost the Breeders' Cup at Churchill, the next morning, he had he had Zenyatta out there, and anyone that wanted to come over that was out on the backside come come over and had their picture taken with Zenyatta. And I remember seeing it going on, and then I went to go talk to someone else. Come back a half hour later, she was still out there. So, uh, John it was it did a class job. He's a class guy anyway, but the, he did a class job with the way he he wanted Zenyatta to be shared with the public. But all those fillies, I mean those 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 horses. We're just phenomenal in their own right. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to the brilliant Azari. 21 years ago, today, voted Horse of the Year. 
All right, guys, time to wrap up the show. We're into the final 16th of a mile, if you will, and we do it every week by having each of you give me your final point of the week. So, Dale, let's come to you first this week. What is your final point? You know, I'm going to say Thursday night was a special night. Congratulations to all the winners and all the nominees. And it was a good year overall. Hopefully we have a great 24. But I thought the, the gist of the night was let's all get along. Let's all work together. Let's try to move the sport forward. I, I was fortunate enough to sit with Lisa Lazarus and Tom Rooney at their table last night. Great leaders of the game. The game's in good hands. Let's all work together and move this sport forward. Well said, Dale. I think people have to you know, quit running around with their hair on fire in regards to uh, after the prices came out for the Belmont at Saratoga. I mean, you'd think that uh, $50 to get into the into the race that day was going to tap all their resources. That's a cheap, that's a cheap price, man. $50 to get into it, the final leg of the Triple Crown, you can't deal with that. I mean, look at some of the other prices. Look how much you got to pay to go, to go to the Pegasus. It's like uh, almost double, triple that, isn't it? But, uh, and, you know, also relax on the, the New York Racing Association not allowing people to bring in alcohol like they can during the regular Saratoga meet. You know, this is the same. This is the same protocol they have at Belmont during the when the Belmont Stakes is down at Belmont Park. You know, this is not going to be an average day at Saratoga. This is a final leg of the Triple Crown. Relax, people. You, you, it's a bargain that you can get in for fifty bucks, and um, the the you know the other days. I think it's thirty on Friday and ten on Thursday and and um, Sunday. So come on, people, relax a little bit. This is a this is the big league now. Well, Dale, Tim, I just want to i want to say this to wrap up the program here. I'll give my final point this week, which I rarely do, but in honor of what we saw at the Eclipse Awards on Thursday night and all of those great storylines that took place, um, I want to thank each of you for taking time to be with me every single Saturday morning on this show because what you bring to the table for our listeners, each of you, is unparalleled, and I know everybody really enjoys it, and I just want to say thank you to each of you. Thank you, buddy. We'll do it again next week. All right, guys, if you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, email that topic to me, Mike, at horseracingradio.net, and we'll get it worked into the show for you. I Ask, They Answer is presented every week by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. I'm William Shatner, and I've been around a long time, but I'm truly humbled when I see the real battles our brave, paralyzed veterans have faced defending our freedom and when they come home. I had just come home from serving over in Germany. Next thing I know, it was three weeks later. Now it's paralyzed. While parachuting with my platoon, my parachute didn't open. I broke my neck. It left me paralyzed for the rest of my life. I was on a routine patrol, and uh, we were in the desert of Kuwait, and the vehicle flipped and landed on top of me, which uh, left me paralyzed from the waist down. 
Okay, folks, this, this, this is heroism. That's why I'm proud to support Paralyzed Veterans of America, because they've kept their promise to never leave a fallen soldier behind. A roof over their heads, accessible homes, cars, jobs, benefits. PBA has brought me back to life. Show them their sacrifice hasn't been in vain. Go to pva.org to learn how you can make a difference. Dear Vetics, it was nice to spend the night with my daughter and other veterans. It's so humbling to attend an event when you feel appreciated. I had a wonderful time with my family. Thank you for the memories, Vetics. Dear Vetics, thank you for a great experience and for your support of the military and veterans. Thank you so much, Vetics. Our family has gone through a lot the last few years, and this gave us a nice break. Every empty seat at a concert, game, or special event is a missed opportunity to say thank you to a veteran or a service member. By giving your extra tickets to VetTix, you'll help America's heroes reduce stress, strengthen family bonds, and create a truly happy memory that will last a lifetime. So when you really want to say thank you for your service, give the experience, give the memory. VetTix, give something to those who gave. For more information on how you can make a difference, go to vettix.org. HRRN is live online. Go to our website at horseracingradio.net to stream all of our broadcasts live or listen to the show archives anytime. Read our blogs, get the latest news, and see our entire broadcast schedule. It's all there at horseracingradio.net. And follow us on Twitter at HRRN and like our page on Facebook. Search Apple Podcasts for HRRN and download our latest shows. HRRN is home to racing's biggest events. And our home on the web is at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Well, don't forget that the February issue of Blood Horse features 140-plus pages that include some incredible stories, including the Blood Horse Market Watch, which reviews 2023 purses. You can download a copy now from the Blood Horse Magazine app via the App Store or Google Play, or subscribe today and receive a 2024 Blood Horse Calendar. That's a $24.95 value, and it's all absolutely free. And here's how you get it. You go to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN, and uh, you can get all of that by going to bloodhorse.com slash HRN and so much more uh, fantastic stuff from our friends at Blood Horse. You know, I was thinking as Dale and Tim were talking about the six females to be voted Horse of the Year, and they spent a lot of time talking about Rachel and Zenyatta, and rightfully so, but all along, Lady Secret, Azari, Rachel Zenyatta, and Havre de Grace. If you if you took those six fillies and you put them all into a dream race, who would you bet? You heard Timmy say he was more of a Rachel guy than a Zenyatta guy. He has that East Coast bias. But if you put all six in there, who would win it? Something to think about. Maybe chime in on social media, at HRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, and we'll retweet those responses later in the day. My thanks to all of our guests for making this show possible here this morning. Covered a lot of ground, talking about Gulfstream and talking about the Eclipse Awards and then talking about Sam Houston later tonight. My thanks to my producer, Lee Delapina, in our Lexington studios, and to Chauncey for handling all of our social media. If you missed any portion of the show, head back to the website, check out the podcast, and do that, too, on every podcast platform. I'm Mike Penna. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. I know they're out of it, but 
Ghost Dealers. 